Friday, January the 22nd, 2021. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of That's What G Said Podcast. Hope everyone's having a nice week as we move in to the weekend. And it is a big one with the NFL Conference Championships. We're going to talk all about that with Eric here on That's What G Said. We've got a big day at Gulfstream Park. It is Pegasus World Cup Day. Huge card on Saturday at Gulfstream Park with, uh, what, seven Stakes races to discuss. So Darren Zocali joins me. We talk about races 4, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. All the stakes races for Saturday at Gulfstream Park. Andrew Champagne, our good buddy. He's going to talk a little Sam Houston Saturday with us. We jump into a late pick five at Sam Houston. Starts in race number five. So we'll be talking Sam Houston Saturday races five, six, seven, eight, and nine to close it out. This week in wrestling with Chad Cooper, we spend over 45 minutes talking about everything going on in the worlds of WWE, SmackDown, Raw, AEW, Dynamite, and NXT. So you get some NFL horse racing for Saturday from Gulfstream and from Sam Houston, and then everything going in the world of wrestling on this episode of That's What G Said Podcast. A couple huge items to discuss before we jump into everything. This weekend, the Saturday Big stable duel contest. It's the $20,000 Angels Envy contest. So, contest begins Saturday. Players are able to begin picking their stables right now if you want. It's a $20,000 contest sponsored by Angels Envy. It's a $150 fee to get in. You're going to be picking a lineup based on the Gulfstream Park Saturday races. So, if you're looking at those races, if you're playing the the card and you want to get into this contest, that is a huge $20,000 pool with a perk. The winner will also will, will not only get the purse, but you get a prize package from Angel's Envy, which includes a personalized bottle of Angel's Envy bourbon, coveted Angel's Envy merchandise, and an invitation for an exclusive virtual Angel's Envy tasting event hosted by Whiskey Guardian. The winning player will be able to share the virtual experience with up to nine of his or her closest friends. Really cool bonus for winning the tournament this weekend, the big golf stream. You also get this Angels Envy package. So check it out on Saturday. You have contests at Gulfstream, you have contests at Santa Anita, Tampa Bay Downs, a free ride at Golden Gate. And then on Sunday, you can play at Gulfstream, you can play at Tampa at Golden Gate or at Santa Anita. But the big focus for everyone this weekend is that Saturday. Gulfstream Park $150 entry to get in the Angels Envy contest. Uh, take a look, folks. I'll be playing this weekend over at Stable Duel. I'm going to get right on into what the uh, the big focus of the week is. That's NFL with ETOF21 Sports. Eric joins us to talk a little NFL Conference Championship. The, before we uh, we get into the, the discussion with Eric, we have to let you know about Cindy Carava, full-service realtor, one of the longtime sponsors of That's What G Said podcast, the website C-I-N-D-Y-C-A-R-A-V-A.com. Now, she's a full-service realtor. That means she can help you in any different thing that you need in the world of real estate, many different ways, purchasing, selling, leasing. If you just need help finding a vendor, maybe you need help uh, getting pre-approved for a home loan, she'll connect you with the lender. If maybe you're just looking for finding out how much your home is worth, 
free market analysis of your home's current value. CindyCarava.com. If you have any questions, she's the perfect person to talk to. She's just going to take all of the stress off of you when you have anything to do in that world of real estate. CindyCarava.com. Time for NFL with Eric. We recap what happened last weekend, and we get into the games for this weekend. And then there were four. It is final four time in the NFL Conference Championship weekend, coming off of a divisional weekend that... I still felt like the wild card weekend was probably a little bit better As far as the game quality that we got Joining us like uh, always He's been here with us almost every week of the NFL season Eric Etoff 21 Sports uh, Eric we uh, are coming off uh, uh, An interesting weekend I think there are a couple teams that probably got to feel Really really disappointed About the way their season ended A couple teams that lost But but maybe still feel okay About where they're going uh, Moving forward but uh, you know, if you're the Saints and Drew Brees and you end like that, or you're Baltimore and your season ends again where you're you're kind of getting beat up, not not a not a great taste in your mouth for I think for either of those. Oh, for sure. I mean the Saints, where do they go from now? Are they gonna have Winston, Hill? With their cap situation, they really can't trade for Watson or Stafford or Wentz. So they're kind of at a weird crossroads of their franchise. In terms of Baltimore, I wrote something about this earlier in the week. They just need someone that can move the chains. Everyone's seeing what Diggs is doing for Allen and the Bills. Doesn't that feel I like mean, the perfect comparison? Yeah. Really, it does. I mean, it, yeah. when, when you don't have that chain mover and you're relying on Willie Sneed, Hollywood Brown, and Mark Andrews, I mean, can you really blame Lamar? You know what I mean? Like, that's the front office did everything they needed to do. They got Campbell to stop against the run. They traded for, God, who's the guy from the, for the Vikings to block the pass rush? Yeah. Way. Yeah. So they did everything they could for the defense, but still, like, I mean, if you're a defense, are you really care- worried about Sneed, Andrews, and Brown? No. Like, and what, no. If you got a one, like a number one right receiver, someone just like Diggs, and everybody was slotted back one more, like if if Brown is now all of a sudden like your your really good stretch guy, and then and then you got Snead as just like a nice little possession like your fourth pass catcher, and then you've got Andrews there to go across the middle a little bit. Like then everybody seems like they would be slotted in where they should be. But with no number one receiver, it's like they're all they're like one level above where they should, you know. And uh, it doesn't like they're missing something and. I don't want to blame it all on Lamar because he's still so young and he's so good with his legs and he's he's able to make such like such plays. I'm not going to say Lamar can never win a Super Bowl or they're never going to win, but th- something's got to change. You can't roll the same thing out there that you do again next year after the way you've lost now three years in a row. Like you make the change and you lose with Lamar and then you lose to the Chargers. And then last year you're the best team in football and you go in the playoffs and you get the crap kicked out of you, really. And then this year, every time they had like a big game, they they sort of lost it. So I, I you gotta do something different, right, Eric? I mean, I think a player that would be perfect in that would be Allen Robinson. His contract oh, yeah. up with the um yeah. with the Bears. Robinson there, I think, would be a home run hit. But also Baltimore's at a weird time. Lamar's got one year left on his contract, and they have a lot of people's contracts coming up. I mean, my buddy who's from Baltimore, he brought this up to me. Would you trade Lamar and picks for Watson? Because I would in a heartbeat. Absolutely. 
And then in terms of the Rams, I mean, they got to figure out what they're going to do with Goff. I mean, because all these reports are Goff. They is, can't cut him because it's you. You get just crushed by the cap if you do. Um, are you better off just maybe trying to tra- yeah, either bring in a veteran or maybe you draft someone late in the first round and 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 you try to have them compete because yeah, it's like cutting him. You you get hit so bad that it's not really even worth cutting him, right? And I mean, I I thought McVeigh was great, like like everybody did. But that I really have to question a lot of that stuff that happened in that game at the end of the first half. Why are they hurrying up the score and giving Rodgers time to drive down for a field goal? They should have been trying to score with like three seconds. Or this is less. something we'll talk about with Cleveland in oh, a minute yeah. too. And, um, and then. Um, and then, then when they're down by seven, he totally abandoned the run game. They, you know, you, and Goff's thumb is throwing off. So there's a lot of questions I have with, like, the coaching of McVeigh in that game. The Rams. It's funny. It's funny the like, the way their year was, right? Because coming into the year, they looked like they would be sort of like a mediocre team. Probably not terrible, but probably not great. Their their cap situation was, eh, eh. but then their defense. Overachieves and is one of the best defenses in the league. So then you sort of feel like you want a little bit more from them, but they probably ended up right about where they should have ended up. I don't know if they were better than Green Bay, but I would have, I think, with a healthy Donald, with a healthy cup, and maybe a, a little bit healthier golf, the game could have been a, a bit tighter. Nonetheless, Green Bay moves on. They're going to play, uh, Tampa and uh, and Tom Brady will be talking about that in a second and then uh, over on the other side you know the Bills get by they they get by the Ravens but they didn't look great again they didn't look like the Bills team we saw humming and even the the Chiefs you know we'll talk about that game a little bit because we we haven't talked much about it yet the the Chiefs were you know one pylon fumble away from losing to the Browns. I know it's not as, as simple as that, but that ends up being the difference in the game when Cleveland was never, you know, they never really felt completely out of the game because even when they were down big, it, you could tell Mahomes was banged up. He was a little gimpy. And then when Henny comes into the game, it, it gave Cleveland a little extra life. This one's weird because as a Browns fan, you're probably going, okay, we had a good year. But you probably are still pissed off because that was a winnable game. Like you had a shot to beat the Chiefs at home, like on the road, and make it to the conference final. You don't know. You, you assume you'll be back in this situation next year, but when you're there, you got to take advantage of it. Exactly, because these windows can close fast. Everyone remembers San Francisco last year. Everyone thought they would be back. They didn't make the playoffs this year. Yep. In terms the of perfect example, um, Cleveland, like on both sides, like. Everyone's loving Andy Reid for that fourth down play. Well, they wouldn't have been in that situation if he didn't run a run a quarterback option with his quarterback that has turf toe. Like, why are you even calling that play to begin with? I live in Chicago. It is beat cold here right now. That's like me having a Lamborghini and parking it outside and just letting it, it letting ice get on it. it snow, sleet, everything. Sense. Yeah. And and they have a 10-year investment in that guy. So if he gets hurt, they're on on the cap. Their cap were tied to this guy for ten years, so that that whole thing, like, I don't understand why I did that. I mean, I get blasted all the time. Everyone loves Skafanski, but in game stuff, he does some bad things. He burned a challenge 
which hurt him with that timeout. He took a challenge. He didn't use a challenge when he should have challenged. Um, I'm a big thing about winning the middle part of the game, not letting your opponent have the score and then the ball to start the half and you trying to have that situation. The Browns had that perfectly lined up. Why are they even running a pass play with a minute 49 left in the Chiefs zone to give Patrick Mahomes a minute 45 to score? You want to wilt that all the way down and create a situation where you're scoring with no time left or 10 seconds left. We don't give Mahomes any time. Then Skafanski says he's going to come out. They need to run the ball more. First three plays of the second half, incomplete pass, incomplete pass, interception. Buckner misses the uh, the field goal. And then the second half of the season, the Browns did a way better job running out of the shotgun. They start the game running from under center. So just all this stuff, like, I question a lot of his in-game strategy stuff. I mean, yeah. granted, he's motivated him. He's put him in a situation. But in-game, everyone's ready to mount this guy as, like, Sean Payton and Belichick level. But in-game, he makes a lot of mistakes. Especially in the, in this particular game, like and, and maybe he'll he'll learn hopefully from this moving forward because this is the biggest game he's ever been in. The most not pressure to the yeah punt. the not I going mean, for two a, was yeah. brutal. The not yeah. going and I know it's early, but it, it doesn't make any sense not to because you just know right then. Okay, are we t- two touchdowns or touchdown field goal? That's all it comes down to. There's no reason that you don't do that and. I just there were a couple things that you definitely scratch your head. Now it's weird because it's 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 such a funny thing with so such mixed emotions. Because all that being said, I think probably the Browns and the Rams even feel better about where they are and 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 like having good solid pieces and units to build around. Like the the Browns, even Baker, he was pretty crappy. Throughout the early part of the year And then they had that part of the year where there was a lot of weather So he didn't really have to do anything at all There was like a three or four week stretch And then since then He's been He's sort of been better I mean he's been he's done a lot of the things people wanted him to do He's made big throws I, This wasn't a Baker's fault that they lost And the games that he's lost Haven't really been Baker's fault He seems like I, I think he's at least an, a guy That you can say okay let's Let's give him another couple years. Let's move forward. And I, I don't know if just six, seven weeks ago I felt that way. He's Kirk Cousins. I mean, he's not going to be that top-tier guy that's going to elevate people around him. But with a play-action game and pieces around him and a good offensive line, he can get you to the playoffs and win some playoff games. And I think with – with um, it seems like they like him a little bit too, uh, the team. You know, he, he seems like a guy that for a while he was – so he would say sort of the wrong thing, but it's the this year I, I give him a lot of uh, points for his leadership. He seems like the guys like him. He seems like he's he's pumped up when anyone scores and he's running around. Sort of what we were thinking when we when Baker came out of college, slapping guys on the butt, that kind of thing. Like he was a lot more that guy this year. Although it's easier to do that when you're winning, right? Oh, for sure. You know, and I'll be like, the first to admit, I I can't stand Baker Mayfield, but yeah, I notice anytime someone went to the ground in offense, he was always the first one there to help him out. When they scored a touchdown, they're celebrating. Last year, what he did that kind of showed me maybe he's maturing with a little bit of leadership when Odell was taking a lot of the blame. Mayfield was directing it more on him, and that stood out a lot to me. But also, I really think Odell getting hurt helped Mayfield because at the beginning of the year, he was forcing the ball to Odell. So much when Odell, yeah, yeah. When Odell went out, he started spreading the ball more. 
So I really think, like, my notes for the game, I mean, they definitely have to do something on defense. Besides Ward and Garrett, that defense is awful. Secondary, especially the oh pass defense is terrible. Awful. Terrible. And then um, they run a lot of two tight end sets. Najoku made some big-ass plays, some big-ass catches. He was great. But I think they're going to move on from him because they drafted that kid, um, Bryant. And they got signed, Hooper. A Hooper. They, P- Jones, I don't think Jones is ever going to be that 10-target-a-guy game, but he is a good field stretcher. Landry's great in the slot. They need, like, a playmaker because I honestly think that they're going to end up cutting Odell because they played better without him. It's, it is just interesting. You wonder. Now, the next step for them could be if Stefanski could somehow find a way to unlock Odell and make that offense even better. Like, you feel like a guy like that with his talent, you should be able to use him, but with his talent, the attitude – and what does that do to your locker room? They were a team that didn't have a lot of issues this year. I mean, we think about the Browns. We think about just embarrassing, immature, crappy stuff, right? Like we said, they had an adult in the locker room this year. And Odell wasn't there causing a lot of problems throughout you know, a lot of their winning. So him coming back, is that going to change the vibe, the, the feeling in the room? We'll see. Because uh, they, they feel like. They're on the upswing. They just punched the Steelers in the mouth. They're they're on the downswing. And we're looking at a Ravens team that continually can't win big games and has sort of become one-dimensional. They need changes. Cleveland's in a really good spot right now for the next few years moving forward with their running game, with some of the young talent that they have. They got Garrett. They got a quarterback that they feel comfortable with now. They got a good uh, defensive front. So now's your time, Cleveland. You got it. Yeah, like your, your team, your execs, have every opportunity to, to make you sort of a, a perennial playoff team for the next, you know, however long. Like, half the battle, Eric, we see in this league is getting a quarterback that's at least fine. And, and they might have that now. But, I mean, I really think the big thing that they did that took them over the, uh, the line that elevated everyone was they got confident free agent. Then they drafted the offensive lineman. It's so, so good. I really think that is good. And also, I mean, my thing is... I, in terms of gambling, I always like to be one step ahead of people. So I already know if the Bengals, who are picking fifth, they have Jonah Williams. If they can get that Sewell kid from Oregon, if he drops down to five, and you put those two as bookend tackles, and you Joe Burrow, of course, this is him coming back healthy, I think the Bengals are going to be a lot better than next year and could be next year's Browns. Let's talk about the games this weekend. Two games, both on Sunday. First up, we've got the NFC Championship game. We've got Tampa Bay headed to Green Bay. The I believe this one is around three and a half or so right now. Green Bay, uh, the total 51, 51 and a half. I'm seeing some spots. Tampa now up to 13 and 5 and 10 and 8 against the spread. Green Bay up to 14 and 3 and 11 and 6 against the spread here. So, I mean, just as far as the Four quarterbacks remaining We've got Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers Patrick Mahomes And Josh Allen who was probably the third Best quarterback this year Only behind Patrick Mahomes And Aaron Rodgers so This is a damn good foursome And I honestly think like any matchup that we get For the Super Bowl with these four teams Is going to be really really good Hell we could tell by both the betting lines Eric These games are three and a half and three. Oh, I think these games are going to be great In terms of the Tampa Green Bay game, these guys played earlier in the season, and I expect both these teams to come out very vanilla and kind of see how the defenses are adjusting to what happened in the first game. And if you look at scoring historically over the 
conference championship and Super Bowl, the first quarter, the first half, first quarter, second quarter, tend to be a lot lower scoring than the third and the fourth quarter, just because this isn't a week 12 game where if you lose, who cares? This is like, if you screw up, you're done. So you want to kind of feel out, see how the game's going. With that being said, I already locked in the under 25 and a half for the first half. Arians has stated he likes to run the ball more. Bucks ran the ball a lot last week. LaFleur has a history of falling in love with the run early and sticking with it a little bit too much. Also, one of the books I use, Bookmaker, they offer a line where there's more points scored second half than first half. I like taking this because if there is a lower scoring first half, like if there's only 10 points scored, they only need two touchdowns to to win the bet as opposed to taking the second half over of 24 or 21, whatever it opens at. Plus, the weather in this game looks like it's going to be a little windy, some snow. So I think this game is going to be a little scoring. So I like that bet. In terms of sides, as soon as it opened, I locked in Tampa plus four. Vera's yep. coming back. He's going to help an already great defensive line for the Bucks. Bucks defense is number one DVOA versus the run. And what does Green Bay like to do? Green Bay likes to run the ball to set up the play action pass. But if they're struggling to run the ball, the play action is going to be null and void. So then Green Bay is going to try to go to the short passing game. What I said last week, how Tampa is seven DVOA versus the run versus the short pass, they defend the short pass well. So they're not going to be able to use the short pass or the play action to set up those deep bombs. And then in terms of just having those guys, MVS, Adams, and Lazard run deep routes, Tampa was third in the NFL in terms of creating pressure. So I really don't think Rodgers is going to have the time for those deep routes to set up. In terms of the offense, this is where it gets really interesting because Green Bay has two, their outside DBs. You have Jira Alexander. Alexander traveled the first half of the season. Then after the season, after excuse me, after his injury, the second part of the season, he didn't travel as much. Last week against the Rams, he just played one side of the field. And McVay had a running back, Higby, Van Jefferson over on that side. He completely hid Robert Woods from that side of the field. I don't know if Green Bay is going to have Alexander play one side of the field just because Alexander does well against speedy wide receivers and King, the other DB, does well against tall wide receivers. So you're going to have King guard Evans and then Alexander guard Antonio Brown. But this brings me to the best matchup of the weekend. Chris Godwin in the slot against Chandon Sullivan, who's allowing a 67% catch rate and a 93 quarterback ranking to opposing quarterbacks. With that being said, I really expect that to be the matchup Brady targets. I found plus five and a half receptions at plus 118, so I locked that bet in. Also, over 63 and a half yards for Godwin. I really expect they're going to attack Godwin. Also, in games like this, when the teams are pretty well matched, you have to look at a lot of situations. So the big situations I look at are red zone. Bucks are top five in red zone offense. Packers are 28th in red zone defense. On the flip side of that, Packers are top five in red zone offense. Bucks are 16th. So if the Bucks are getting to the red zone and scoring seven and the Packers are getting to the red zone and scoring three, I mean, that's just math that the Bucks are going to be scoring more points. And then I look at third down. Bucks are third DVOA and third down conversion. Green Bay is a disappointing 23rd. So if the Bucks are able to extend drives, that's going to be more, you know what I mean? They're going to get more opportunities mm-hmm. to score. Uh, Tom Brady, he's used to the cold. Playing in front of crowds, I really don't think that's going to have effect on no, when I, no. I mean, when I look at the defensive matchups, the Godwin matchup, and the advantage in situation football, if I can get the Bucks at plus 165 or higher, 
I'll lock in the money line. If not, I'm fine just sitting back with my bucks plus four. Yeah, and at three and a half, that's still a fine number that I that for me I got three and a half. I'm I'm okay with that. Um I think Tampa's gonna win this game straight up too. Uh I mean for for a lot of the reason that you say. It's funny because t- like looking at Tampa, there were a couple teams that we knew, Tampa, the Ravens, and Seattle that had very soft schedules to end the year. And we knew that we were going to have to really handicap those teams coming into the playoffs because were they just beating up on bad teams or was that beating up on bad teams, helping get them right, helping have them figure something out, right? Sometimes you need to be able to play a a team that's not as good as you to get some stuff figured out. And then it's able to flow better. That's what's happened with Tampa. You know, we can look at the other two teams and say, maybe Seattle, maybe Baltimore, they were able to beat up on teams and they were able to, to make it and look a little bit better because of the schedule. Uh, Tampa is, is just pretty good. And what's funny is all year long, They've been a team that the football outsiders DVOA loved. I mean, even when they were like losing a couple games early, every one of their losses was uh, was like a good loss, even. So this was a team that's just fit like all of the advanced metrics and stuff. And you know what? Those advanced ratings and, and and advanced analytics stuff don't care about. They don't care about if you're Tom Brady or not. They don't know who you are. They grade your throws. And one thing that we've seen, Tom Brady, who struggled for a little bit. In the middle of the year when it seemed like There were a couple receiver um, injuries and, and he was having some issues He wasn't on the same page with him all the time He's actually been a lot better throwing the ball Down the field in the last six Eight games that we've seen from him And it feels like When they went to the bye Eric It was almost like Arians And Brady sat down and said okay You got your way I got my way Let's just compromise here Right like let's do a little Bit of you a little bit of me, what works best for us, and let's figure out. And I think that's sort of where they've been right now. I mean, they look great after the bye. And like you said, he is throwing the ball deep. And the main thing that's done is, and they did it great in the Saints game, deep shot down the field. And it's not the fact he it was incomplete or anything. That that opens up the run more because now the, deep, Keeps the defensive honest. backs have to play it. Then the next play, you'd see Jones or Fournette break off a five, six-yard run. So, I mean, just the play calling, the deep ball to open up the running lanes. I mean, they're they're clicking, and this defense is playing insane right now. The one worry I have with them, though, is they are awful at special teams. Awful. I mean, it was against the Saints. I tweeted out, they should just start putting the ball out of bounds after those two returns by Harris. Brutal. And... Yeah, I, I don't have issues with the cold. I don't have issues even with the road, any of that stuff. Brady's been here a million times before. And honestly, like, this is why you go get Brady, right? Like, this is like you have a guy who's been here a bunch and he's able to lead a lot of your players who haven't been here a bunch and make them feel calm and make them, you know, uh, feel like they've got a big opportunity because they do. Uh, I like Tampa in here. We're both on the Bucks headed to Green Bay, and we both think they can upset them. I'm with you. Money line in the plus 160 range is, is really solid. Um, I don't have as much of an opinion on the total. It feels sort of accurate to me, but I do think Tampa's going to win this game, and I think it's going to be good. I don't think Tampa's going to blow them out. I think both of these games are going to be good, and we move to the Sunday night game, the AFC game. I- I'm expecting that the Bills are going to play a little different in this game, and maybe in a situation where they're on the road now. I thought they would play a little bit more loose last week. They didn't. They they still won the game, 
a, a lot of that was because Baltimore was really bad. Buffalo's defense actually played pretty well, but I have not been impressed with Kansas City for most of this year. And a, a lot of people are going to look back at Kansas City when they played Buffalo earlier in the year, and I think I think Buffalo sort of got screwed because of the COVID cancellations, the way their schedule was. Um, I think Buffalo has a big shot here. I'm gonna I'm gonna give both of the dogs, both of the road teams, Moline for me. Buffalo at Kansas City. This game is around three right now. Eric Casey is the favorite. Over under is 54. Mahomes will play. I, I can't imagine he won't. But what version of Mahomes are we gonna get? We saw him gimpy last week. In terms of the the game you referenced before, it's important to remember the Bills did not have their starting defensive line. And that was the game where they just ran Carl Edwards Alaire like 50 times. And it was that rain Tuesday game. So you can't take you can't take anything for that game. In terms of this game, this is the hardest game it's been in a while for me to pick a side. Right now it's three. So in my eyes, you're really not getting any value in the number. I hate buying points and I always advise never to buy points. So in terms of buying down to minus two and a half or buying up to plus three and a half. I would never advise to do it. Every DVOA metric I look at, the Bills have a huge advantage of it. Chiefs are last in DVOA red zone defense. Bills are ninth. Chiefs are 19th in third down DVOA defense. Bills are fifth in DVOA third down offense. So everything I look at is telling me to bet the Bills. But the reason I haven't is I've watched those last two games that they played a couple – a couple times now, and I have just not been impressed from at what all. I've seen. They're hard to, to from the Bills. look past. Like, it's hard to look beyond those games and think back to just a few weeks ago when they were rolling. And now, all that being said, they're winning, and we're we're talking about a Kansas City team that hasn't been blowing anybody out for a long time either. They they've not been beating teams by double digits. They've not been beating teams up. They've been sort of messing around and playing with teams. I don't. It's it's a it's an interesting situation. It's like I think in a, in a in a case like this where I don't love the way either team is playing, I'm usually going to take the points. I mean, I my whole thing with this is in terms of the side, I'm just going to wait because I know that Friday is the big practice day. I'm going to see what Mahomes is doing. I'm going to try to find a beat writer from Kansas City that can, has an ad, adequate report about exactly what he's doing in practice and kind of go from there. I mean, if Mahomes is playing and the beat and the reporters are good, reports are good that he's looking well in practice, this is going to juice up to three and a half, maybe four. If that's the case, I'll take the bills. If it just sits at three, I'm probably going to be sitting it out, but I will say this arrowhead can get very windy. This is Josh Allen's first AFC championship game. First game on the road playing in front of crowds and Kansas city, like I said, last week is awful defending the run. I expect the bills to come out and run the ball a lot more with Singletary. I also expect the same thing from the chiefs to kind of protect Mahomes' concussion and his toe. I think this game is going to be a lot lower scoring. Also, I played the first half under in this game under 26 and a half. I'm also, as soon as a prop comes up, do more points second half than first half. And like last week, how I was on all the Chubb props this week, I locked in Singletary over 63 and a half total yards because Chiefs are 31st DVOA defending the pass to running back. So I really think that's a prop where you could take advantage of. But in terms of side, I just, with so many unknowns about Mahomes, I just can't do anything. 
And another thing, like every week in the NFL, there's always like a quote unquote trendy dog pick that seems like everybody is on. And to me, it just kind of seems like everyone's on Buffalo. And that kind of has me worried even more. And I, I don't know. I just really haven't been impressed by either team. I can see both team winning, but I, I mean, I'll be honest. I think Tampa Bay wins it all right now. I, I like Tampa the most of what I'm of everyone I'm seeing right now. I completely agree. If I had to pick one of the four teams, I would I would pick Tampa. And uh, we have a really awesome final four here. And any combination that we get, we're gonna have a blast talking about them here again on, on that's what G said in a few weeks. Eric, I can't believe we're almost uh we're almost there, man, to the Super Bowl. It's been uh it's been a journey. It's been a, a long season so far. It's been a lot of fun. You've helped us out, and we'll have the big game to talk about uh, in a few weeks, and and then we'll be talking a lot of uh, NBA here and there. Let the folks know where we can follow you along online, and let the folks know about your podcast, social media stuff. Um, I'm a Etoff Two One Sports on Twitter and Instagram. I have a website, Etoff. 21 sports um a blog came out about what the ravens should do i'll be writing a blog tomorrow about how the lions messed up another coaching hire all my podcasts are going to be on etop21sports.com too eric great stuff man thank you so much Uh, we'll be uh going back and forth with you over the weekend good luck thanks you too man folks don't go anywhere we'll be back with plenty more on that's what g said horse racing fans many of us have been using the DRF, the daily racing form for years, studying the races, keeping up to date on news with all the articles. I remember looking for a copy at the local liquor store or picking one up at the local racetrack, wherever I was going. Now it's even easier and cheaper than ever to use DRF with DRF.com and the newly optimized DRF mobile. You can get all the tracks that you want to bet and handicap. Past performances that are mobile optimized for on-the-go handicapping on your phone. So you go to drf.com from your mobile device, no additional cost. Tap the calendar icon on the top left. It opens all of the options for past performances and for the tools that are available. One click to bet now and DRF bets. Get real-time odds and scratches on race day. You can tap on any horse and you get those same DRF past performances that you're familiar with with a larger font for your mobile display. One click to formulator for charts, for replays if you get the formulator version. And even on the classic past performances, you get the home screen with horses, with odds, with buyers. You get a lifetime buyer speed figure graph. You can rotate your phone for the best view. And any horse that you click on, you'll see the running lines. You can easily move from horse to horse. The same data as those traditional classic DRF past performances. You get an interactive format, which is very similar to the DRF classic version that you're used to on the desktop. Every card includes live data updated instantly with those scratches. And so you get the accessibility from desktop to phone, cross-device functionality. You can take your notes and save them from one device to the next and then access your account on any of your devices. On-the-go handicapping and wagering, multiple formats to view. You got the overview page with recent speed figures, current day's odds, easy access to expert selections and analysis. You got the buyer speed figure graph with lifetime buyer speed figures and chart notes for every horse. And you got those traditional DRF pass performances that are just newly optimized for your mobile phones. They are constantly upgrading, improving, and making everything easier for you to get your handicapping done at DRF.com. 
Big thank you to Eric. He's just done such a great job helping us out all throughout the year talking NFL. So next week, there won't be any NFL games to preview. We'll recap what happened in the conference uh, championship games. And then the following week, we'll have a very big Super Bowl show where we bring on a few different guests all to give their thoughts on the game, big props, um, and all sorts of stuff for the Super Bowl. So crazy to think that we are just now winding down the end of the NFL season. Feels like it just started as a uh, it's always, always sad, right? Uh, some mixed emotions at the end. It's exciting to get to the biggest, best games, but then it's a, it's a bummer because uh, no NFL Sundays for uh, for quite some time. None of the uh, after these next few, none of those you know six fifteen sixteen game days with everything going on. Those are some of my favorites. I think uh, Saturday is going to be a big racing day. We have two different tracks we're going to be covering here, and our our friends Darren Zocali and Andrew Champagne join me each to talk about a different racetrack. First up, we're going to talk Gulfstream Park with Darren Zocali. Get those past performances out, folks. We're looking at Gulfstream for Saturday, January the 23rd, and we're going to talk about all the stakes races on that big Pegasus card. So we go through races 4, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, and 12. Thoughts on who to play, horses we like, horses we don't like, prices we're looking for, everything we think about the uh, the stakes races here on the Saturday card at Gulfstream Park. Enjoy the conversation with Darren Zocali. It is a huge Saturday over at Gulfstream Park. It is Pegasus World Cup Day. We have the World Cup turf race also and a massive undercard of stakes races, graded stakes races. To join me, one of the better handicappers that I know, someone who uh, does a great job on a day like this in particular, weaving through, finding trips, finding some things to uh, to sink his teeth into. Good buddy Darren Zocali. DZ, this is an awesome card at Gulfstream on Saturday. There are so many horses in the like in the five to twelve to one range that just seem like logical race after race after race. Yeah, it's it's a difficult card. Um it, it's a card where um, you have horses that, uh, you know, are favored that, you know, come with some questions at different points. There are horses at prices that, that you can make cases for. Um, but top to bottom, I mean, some of these races are extremely difficult where you could see any of five or six horses winning. Um, especially the turf races are extremely competitive throughout the day. And the two Pegasus events as, as well are, are two of the more wide open that I've seen in, in the, uh, in the different runnings of this event. So, um, it, it, it's a card where if you're right once or twice, you could certainly make a lot of money, but it's going to be a challenge. We're going to talk about all the stakes races here. So we're going to go for race four and then we're going to jump and go to races, uh, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, and, uh, 12 to close things out here with the Pegasus world cup as race number 12. So in the fourth race, we've got the Fred W Hooper. It's a mile. It's a group, uh, grade three event here and performer is no doubt the one to beat DZ from the the rail. This is a graded stakes winner who had a five race win streak snapped. And I remember hearing afterwards that uh, Suge was a little salty about it, even talking about the time of the year where the race was. He thought if it was earlier, he, they would have won the cigar mile and the weather wouldn't have been as bad or, or if it was different time. But uh, uh, nonetheless, you get performer here who draws the rail. I just... I don't see a ton of speed, though. Um, you think they're going to try to just get aggressive with him inside, or, or maybe just sit behind a horse like Shivari? 
Well, if they want to get aggressive, he better he better break better than he did in the Cigar Mile because sure. no matter how aggressive they get, uh, he's not making the lead against Chivalry if he doesn't if he doesn't break better than that. Um, yeah, look, the rail is a, is a tricky spot here. I mean, it, you know, with an eight-horse field going a one-turn mile, you do have a long run down the backstretch, but you don't want to get yourself pinned down inside of runners, um, you know, getting dirt kicked in the horse's face. This is a horse that I think probably would do his best work you know, sitting outside of a horse stalking the pace. And this is kind of a tough spot to be able to get that kind of a trip uh, on talent and ability. You know, sure, he's the best horse in the race. But as we know, the best horse doesn't always win. And he's going to need a couple of things to break his way here to get the trip he wants. Yeah, for me, and like in early pick fives or in early exotics, I'm I'm throwing Shivari in who... He's really quick when he wants to He showed that he can sit off a, a little bit last time out and Two starts back at Gulfstream Park West He was tracking from the inside He was a couple lengths off in third And he, he angled around It, it was a, a, a pretty, you know, it was, it was not a bad effort um, I, I'm willing to excuse the slop And then he's just kind of progressing He feels like the one that's going to get the lead I don't know if he's going to be good enough to hold off Performer, if he can come rolling late But I'm not really as high on I mean, I'm not as high on, I guess, Fat Man in this spot because I think he probably needs a little bit of pace in here. Is there, you know, any other of the longer shots that you can make a case for? Maybe a horse like Avant Garde falling into a nice trip. I, I mean, for me, it was really uh, Chivari as sort of like the value horse that seems like he could get a, a really nice trip in here. He could. Um, yeah, again, it, it depends on what performer does. I mean, you know, does he, if he's breathing down his neck every step of the backstretch, then, yeah. um, that's not going to be, you know, the trip that's going to work out in his favor, I don't think. But if he does shake free, which is certainly possible, um, yeah, he could definitely take them a long way. Um, you mentioned the horse at a price that I think is worth talking about, uh, and that is Avant Garde. Um, yeah, look, he's coming out of a claiming crown race, and obviously this is a test for class for him. But, you know, there's two things that he has going for him coming into this race. Number one, uh, he's coming into this race off a buyer speed figure that makes him a win contender if he runs back to that race. Um, now, the thoroughgraph sheets have not come out yet. And that's one of my key handicapping tools. So I haven't seen how he stacks up yet, stacks, stacks up yet on the thoroughgraph sheets. And that's going to be a part of my handicapping. But he's coming off of a lifetime best performance. And he absolutely loves Gulfstream Park. Um, you know, five for six lifetime here, one for five everywhere else. So tells you all you need to know. This is the trip that he wants to go. Yeah, he's getting tested for class, but good horses at some point are going to get tested for class. He's won five of his last six. All five of them come at Gulfstream Park. Um, 15 to 1 in the morning line, I mean, I don't know if he's going to go off that high. If he's anywhere north of 10 to 1, I do think he's worth a win play uh, because I, I think he's got a reasonable chance to make his presence felt here. Yeah, he's a nice horse to flop into your pick five too Especially if you're playing against Performer And you're looking for a couple other horses in this race to use um, He he has to be on the ticket He just feels like he's heading in the right direction He's got some upside And he doesn't have to be as far back as some of the others here He's going to get the trip It's just, is he good enough to hold off some others But these are the type of horses you want to play And yeah, anything in that 10 to 1 range feels good for him That's race 4, the first stakes race on the Saturday card We're going to flip now to race number 7 and we will hit basically the pick six sequence here at, at Gulfstream on uh, on Saturday. So we've got the Grade Three Marshua's River, ton of turf in the in the sequence. Now that we'll be talking about these last uh, these last six, who do you start with in the seventh? Uh, I, I love a horse here. Um, I love Zofel, and um, 
I just think, you know, she's coming out of a race. I know she's been off for a long time. She's coming out of a race where newspaper record, Bo Ricola and Uni would all be three to five in this race. Yeah. Um, you know, she's just coming out of a race where she faced much, much better horses. Um, prior to that, you know, her effort in the Min Julep was very good. Uh, she was really good in the Sand Springs at Gulfstream prior to that, and race three starts. And back. she was buzzy that day, right? Because wasn't that yep. was at the point of the year when Gulfstream kept running during the pandemic when they yep. weren't supposed to be running? And that remember, I think we talked about that card on this show when, um, because that was like one of those cards that we were wondering: is this going to be like a, the last big racing card for a while? We didn't yep. know what it was going to be like with tracks canceling all over. I remember, and she was very buzzy coming off her trouble trip at Fairgrounds. Yeah. Yeah, and, and you take a look. I mean, if you're worried about fitness, look at the workout pattern and look at the work on January the 12th. She went 57 seconds uh, on the Palm Meadows turf course and then followed that up with just a three furlong blowout literally two days ago. She is obviously basically kicking the store doll, the stall door down that, that Brendan Walsh has to kind of keep putting her out on the racetrack. I mean, even getting her a blowout just a few days before the race. Um I just, and it's not a knock against the field. I just think this field is not overwhelming for for a grade three race. There are no, some, it's not. yeah, there are some nice fillies and mares in here. Don't get me wrong, um, but there's questions. I mean, Vigilante's way is is you know facing older fillies and mares on on a stakes level for the first time. You know, Evil Lynn is is okay. You know, she's got a nice win at Churchill two back. You know, second last time against Listed Stakes Company. Um, you know, Nico's dream comes out of a nice win in the, in the My Charmer at 13 to one, but did so after finishing third in the New York state bred race, you know, tuned is probably a mare that's got upside for grand motion. Um, she'd never run a bad race. You know, maybe she hasn't knocked the door down. Like, you know, maybe Graham thought she would, but she's, you know, she's been okay, but these are all horses that are running, you know, mid 80 by buyer speed figures. And, and, and Zofel, I mean, her race two back, her win at the fairgrounds, you know, in December of 2019, I, th- I think she's just the, I honestly think she's just the best horse in the race. And, and at five to one in the morning line, I'll take every bit of that. Yeah, I can't play any ticket without her on my ticket. There are three horses that I'll look at to use in most of the exotics. And you mentioned, uh, you mentioned two of them. I uh, mean, you, you mentioned all three of them. Zovell is one of them, but you mentioned the other two, Evil Lynn, who's just honest and versatile. And like you said, there's just not much in this field. So I, I'll take a filly like this who's who can has shown that she can win in some different ways, right? Just like look at her last three races. One of them, she was on the lead. Another, she was tracking a little bit. Another, she was like five or six lengths off of it. So I like a, an honest filly like this in a spot where it doesn't feel like there are any monsters. And then tuned, I do think, just sort of like what you said, she's got a little bit of upside here. There are two different races today where it, um, there are horses that Irad is on, and it feels like he got outridden. On those same horses last time I, When I when I see Irad Who's a very very good rider um, in, in that situation or a lot of times Really any good riders in that situation Where it feels like they were on a horse They didn't give them a great ride or maybe they got beat to a spot I generally think they're going to come back The next time and give that particular horse A really good ride I think that might be the case with Tuned in here Who I just felt like he got a little bit Outridden last time out when uh, He uh, I, I think Tuned Is just like you said, in, in a race that's sort of weak, I feel like I don't have as many knocks on her as I do with others. So I, I'm I'm down to three for most of my exotics with the uh, three, six, and eight. Yeah, I, I don't blame you. I mean, th- based on you know scratches and and whatnot, when it comes to you know any any multi race exotics, I know this race doesn't doesn't start a pick five, but it's tied into a, a pick four that starts in 
in race number four. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I, I might take a bit of a stand here with Zofel, depending yeah. on how I map out the rest of it. And again, again, I have to look at the thoroughgraph sheets as well. I mean, that's like I said, they're not out yet. And that's going to be a big part of my handicapping. But, you know, her race in the in the just game, she looked like she got a bit washed out going into the gate. She, she had a lot of lather on her shoulder. She was kind of wide on the turn. And, you know, when newspaper record and the top two just kicked away, I mean, she, you know, she just had a heartbroken and just had no chance against that, that type of, uh, that type of a field. So uh, she should appreciate this field. I, I honestly think this race is more of a listed stake than a grade three. And, and I really think she's going to appreciate that. And she's going to be probably one of my stronger plays of the day. It's, it's funny. Cause it's a good card in that. Like every rate, there's not going to be a whole lot of overwhelming favorites. But as far as like the depth of some of these graded stakes races, they don't they don't feel like the true grade ones or the true grade twos. But the bet it doesn't matter, right? Five to one is five to one. From like a betting standpoint, it's okay. It's just not necessarily a bunch of stars all throughout the card like we might be used to on a big date like today, uh, like a, a Pegasus Saturday. We got a race coming up, DZ, in the eighth mile and a half on the turf course for Phillies and Mares four year olds and up. There are nine horses on the morning line between three to one and twelve to one. It's <laughs> just a, another one where it's like, oh wow! So nobody's o- an overwhelming favorite, and nobody's completely dismissed in here. Where do you start? Yeah, I mean, look. Obviously, the conversation has to start with always shopping off her last yep. effort. She was ultra impressive there uh, in that last stake when she really hasn't run a bad race in any of her last three. Um, the Dowager was a really solid second uh, behind Blame Debbie there. Um, you know, she's, she's certainly been a different horse on turf than she is on dirt. I think Pletcher, you know, figured out finally with this mare, what she wants to do. Um, you know, she is a deserving morning line favorite. Um, but that being said, she is certainly far from a lock stock cinch. And just because she's the morning line favorite doesn't necessarily make her my top selection, but I do think any conversation in the race, uh, has to start with her, given the fact that she's in very good form and proven to be a horse that can go a mile and a half. I agree. I completely agree. She's the one to beat. She's consistent. She should save all the ground. I have no knocks on her in any sort of late exotics. She's in my top tier, which I think I, f- I feel like I might have down to about three right now in the top tier of horses that I'll be using everywhere. I'll probably throw Heavenly Curlin in. I, I'm, I'm completely okay with dismissing her turf debut. And I feel like she's just another one who's really on the upside and she's got a lot of ability and she'll be sort of in that middle-ish price range. She's not going to be like an overwhelming short price or anything. So I'll throw her in um, with the one. The horse who I'm, I think, the most intrigued by at around 10 to 1 or so is Lovely Lucky, the number five. So um, if you're just looking at her, her last few races now... This is another one who people may look at and go, oh, you know, she had to drop in for Maiden 75 to break her Maiden and and win against Claimers. You know what? That kind of stuff doesn't bother me as much nowadays. The divisions are just different. You you know, we we talked about it even earlier with the horse that was um, looked like it had a legitimate shot to hit the board in the fourth race coming out of some claiming crown races and stuff. It's just you get a horse good. You get him going the right way. I think Lovely Lucky got really, really good last year in in a few different races. The one that jumped off the page to me was the Glens Falls. Where she sat nicely second And she loomed up, she briefly took the lead She just missed third She still lightly raced overall And she's got a little bit of upside I, I think Civil Union, I'm pretty high on Civil Union Who was fifth in the Breeders' Cup Billion Mare Turf And wasn't beaten a whole heck of a lot that day So, I, you know, I look at her numbers and figures They stack up pretty well with the rest of this group Lovely Lucky isn't a horse who's going to be on the lead But I think she could be right off of it uh, I'm thinking maybe sitting second 
Behind traipsing and that could be a nice trip In here so give me a lovely Lucky to use as one of my top tier Horses I'll I'll play the five if I can get anything Around eight to one and I'll be using Like five seven one I think in most Of my exotics yeah I, I, Lovely lucky is a use for me I, I don't know if we're getting that ten to one dropping Out of the flower no. bowl um, You know just coming out of a grade one against a lot of Horses in here that that are not grade One types uh, she, she didn't run Bad that day setting the pace yeah, Those are just better horses than her honestly Oh, no, they are. They are. Yeah. And I don't necessarily think she wants to be on the lead either. No. Uh, which I don't think she will here with traipsing in the race. So she could work out a really nice trip right in behind the speed. Um, you had mentioned Heavenly Curlin. She is a total wild card for me. We, we yeah. saw a horse, and, and, and forgive me, the name escapes me, but there was a horse last week or a week and a half ago that came down from Gulfstream Park Uh off of a, a race of a couple of stakes at Woodbine, who absolutely exploded in the turf race and looks like could be, you know, a, a serious good thing. And the name of the horse escapes me right now. So, you know, what, people might have that fresh in their mind that she might take a lot of play here. Now, a couple of things. Two starts back, she beat a horse named Crystal Glacier. Uh, Crystal Glacier actually is over at Turfway, came back to just kind of run okay, uh, an okay fifth and a non-winners of one other than allowance going either a mile and a mile and a 16th on, on the poly there. Now, the two races that she's coming out of, the horses that have been behind her have really not come back to do much of anything. So that's a little bit concerning. She has progressed a ton throughout her career. And Mark Cassie certainly has her firing on all cylinders. Um, going to a mile and a half, going back to turf, shipping from Woodbine to Gulfstream, and the fact that she's beating horses that are not necessarily doing a lot in their next start. There's some things there that do concern me. If you she, don't want to take a short price. That's that's kind of where I'm heading. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now, I'm going to give you a, a, a wild horse in here that I don't necessarily know if she could win the race, but I'm kind of inclined to take a look at her in exotics. And the horse is Cambelli's uh, number six. Um, and, you know, you, people may think I'm crazy because our last two races look like what they look like. However, um, you take a look back at the race at Kentucky Downs. She finished second, beaten two and a half lengths, going a mile and five sixteenths. She was actually put up via disqualification. She ran second behind a horse named Blame Debbie. Well, always shopping, your race favorite, ran second to Blame Debbie in the Dowager. Yeah. So, okay, you know, she's second behind the horse that beat your morning line favorite two back. Then you take a look at the next race at Keeneland, going a mile and a half, where she really kicked home well to get beat just the neck and a tough non-winners of two other than. And she finished in front of Delta's Kingdom, who came back to run third in the Long Island and is one of the main contenders in this race at 8-1 to yeah. the line. Yeah. Next race in the Zagora, toss it out. Yielding turf course, obviously hated it. Pretend like that race doesn't exist. Then the, I can't really, I can't make an excuse for her in the race behind Always Shopping last time. Other than the fact that maybe she actually just is a marathoner and wants every bit of a mile and a half, a mile and a quarter, you know, maybe a mile and three sixteen. She's just not hitting her best stride. Maybe they quicken a bit too early for her. Um, and, and perhaps as they go longer, she's going to get better again. Look, I'm not saying she can win this race, but she's going to be like something like 25. Yeah, to absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and she probably shouldn't be. And I'm going to include her in, in some gimmicks. I'm obviously going to use always shopping on top. Uh, I'm going to use Delta kingdom, you know, a bit in there as well. I mean, there's a lot of horses in here. That, that I'm going to be including. I'm using Lovely Lucky as well, um, you know, on my tickets. So 
But I'm going to try to build some exotics and try to get this uh, Cambalizer. That'd be it, so yeah. I'm the ticket underneath at a price to try to you know spice things up a bit. Really good case to be made there. Uh, great job uh, building your reasoning for Cambalizer, the number six in race number eight. Make sure to throw her into uh, some of the underneaths in there. If you're playing uh, a late pick five where you want to throw some prices in, she'd be a nice horse to flop in because that would be a great way to start with uh, with some big races still to come. As we get to the ninth race, the Inside information here uh, This is another One of those races I was talking about Irad didn't have the greatest of rides uh, Last time out with uh, with Cinnabunny Who had been a filly coming in from Parks Who had shown a lot of speed previously And she ended up last In the field um, And the horse Ladies Island was up on the front end Who had cleared early on And Cinnabunny Started to roll but then she w- was moving inside And she sort of ran up right into traffic So not only was she not close enough Or on the lead early Then when she starts moving She moves in between horses into traffic She probably wasn't going to win But it would have been really, really tight If if she didn't, if things didn't get so uh, so congested for her late I thought it was a bad ride From uh, you know probably the best rider out there right now So I- I'm expecting him to put her on the front end in here She's probably the fastest, right? Uh, if I mean, here's the thing, and I never know what to make of it. On paper, she looks like the fastest, but sometimes that parks form from speed just doesn't transfer. I know. It's yeah. weird. It it's is. really, really weird. Parks is a very, very strange track. Sometimes it goes, sometimes it doesn't. Um, you know, was last time an indication of that? You know, horses elsewhere just faster early? I don't know. But in this field, based on... The early time form, pace settings, uh, pace figures based on you know the, the the splits. She's supposed to be on the lead because Pacific Gale isn't. It, she's a she's more of a presser. Yep. She's not like, and she's probably her like other most naturally quick rival in here, and yep. and she just isn't one that wants to go. She's better off just sitting right off and sort of pressing you. So if that's the case, and she gets the lead in here. She's probably going to be pretty tough To me there are a couple other horses that sort of look similar Like I look at Bronx Beauty And uh, and Sound Machine They, they kind of look the same to me on paper I think you can make some cases for and against Either of them and you have the group that all came out of that uh, Sugar Swirl last time out So I guess you know when you're talking about This race it's sort of Do you like the, the group that came out of there Are you going to play them or are you going to go against them Yeah Um and I might be fading a little bit because I think the Rampart was a better race. And and I think Dream Marie um, has a real shot to bounce back here. Uh, Latruska just ran her eyeballs, eyeballs out in the Rampart last time out. Um, I think I think the, the buyer speed figure for the race came back in 98. Um, and, and, you know, prior to that, Latruska ran in the Beldame. Uh, she ran in the Ballerina. She's just a better horse than these. And, and Dream Marie ran admirably better, you know, to be second. The cutback to seven furlongs, I actually think might help her a little bit. Um, you know, she does draw down inside, and she's not the fastest off the gate. So, you know, Reyes is going to have to work out a bit of a trip here. Uh, and the other horse that that I need to, you know, talk about is just a mare that's just constantly faced better than these, and that's Sally's Curlin. Yeah. Um, you know, look, I, end, I, I know the form recently is not good, uh, and she does come out of the rampart as well, where she did not run well at all. But that race you know, shape is just not for her. It's not for her, exactly. Yeah. You know, a mile, you know, a one-turn mile at Gulfstream going 23 and four to the opening quarter is just not going to work for her. 
Um, I think this race will be faster early. Yep. You know, had no shot in the Breeders' Cup Flea Mare Sprint, of course. And, and I, again, she's just coming out of better races, running against better horses than these. Eventually, you have to imagine the light switch is going to go back on. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe she gets the setup in this spot. So, you know, she was five to two in the rampart. She could be five, six to one here. Uh, and I think the value is going to dictate between Dream Marie and Sally's Curlin which way I go. I kind of think I prefer Dream Marie right now, but you know, value will dictate where I land. Yeah, because to me, with with uh, with Bronx, y- y- there's there's a couple horses that were I'm not quite sure if Seven Furlongs is what they want. Even Cinnabunny, even you know Bronx Bunny, he, he, uh, even Pacific Gale, uh, even towards the outside with Sound Machine. So now we're talking about half the field who we're not sure if Seven Furlongs is their trip. That's really the perfect trip for Sally's Curlin. She needs a little pace, but she feels like she sh- if she's around that morning line price, that feels like what her chances are. To win this type of a race with the type of trip she would need, she's definitely good enough. She just is a little trip compromised, and I, I mean, I would be, I would not be shocked to see her starting to wind up late because, like, I, I like Cinnabunny in that I look at this field and I think he's got to just get aggressive with her and have a couple lengths on the group. Um, but if if she's stopping late, it is not going to surprise me at all. And Sally's Curlin could be the one to come and get her. You mentioned uh, the positives and negatives about Dream Marie. I would love Dream Marie if she was drawn towards the outside. With the rail draw, I'll use her just a, a, like a little less. I'm, I'm a little more concerned about the trip she may have to work out from down in there. But she's not going to be a short price, so she'll be that in that five to one range ish or so. This is, you know, I thought uh, an interesting race, like. Depending on where you stack up the races, you know, do you stack up the rampart a little bit better? Do you stack up the sugar swirl a little bit better? This kicks off the late pick four, and uh, you know, on on paper, it looks like Cinnabunny should have a few lengths, but as DZ mentioned, you just don't know. And she showed it wasn't even like she had a bad start last time. It wasn't like she missed the break or she got bumped. She just wasn't fast. That was the difference. Yeah, and, and and it could be a product of of you know a number of different things. Um, you know, you wouldn't think the surface would necessarily destroy her, but if it you know, it, and she ran it, fine it, over the surface, she just didn't show the speed, right. which is weird. You know, that's yeah, the yeah. ground break away from her leaving the gate. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. I'll so look at it. I'm not 100 percent sure. You know, maybe after the ship, you know, maybe she wasn't as sharp. She was in Kentucky up until the beginning of December. You know, that's that's possible, I suppose, but. I mean, if she bounces back and shows speed, she's going to be awfully tough to beat. By the way, we didn't mention, um, you know, this my time, who is suddenly, you know, the last two starts has been, you know, a completely awesome. different race yeah. for it. Um, you know, a freak in the slop. And then I remember I played against her in the next start because I always play against freaks in the slop. And, <laughs> yep, yep. and just, you know, she was drifting a bit in the stretch, but she ran back to another good race and she's going to get a test here. Um, I, you know, my, my gut tells me to let her beat me right now in a grade two like this and, and show me that she can be up to this caliber, but you know, she's another one that, you know, is razor sharp right now. Yeah. And I, I think coming out of the horses of the sugar swirl, I do give Cinnabunny another shot to bounce back since it was just her first start at Gulfstream. And, and I'm thinking she might have the, the, the rest of the field in that group. I don't love like I don't need a Bronx beauty that much I don't need uh, you know to the outside sound machine as much I would prefer this is my time and Sally's curl and dream Marie the other ones that you mentioned so like of that like I prefer this is my time as sort of like a new face than some of the others who have you know been around I just again like this is my time is she gonna be 
three, three and a half to one. If that's the case off of those big figures, that might be a little bit short for me. Yeah, yeah, I would, I would agree with you. Um, yeah, I, it's a race that, um, you know, I guess you have to decide, like you said earlier, which, you know, which race you think is the key race to come out of mm-hmm. uh, and identify the value within. You know, this is my time at three to one. Like you said, I, I just, I think that's going to be too short. Uh, you know, if Cinnabunny gets pounded, you know, I'll I'll take that into consideration as well. Um, yeah, this is it, it, it's a challenging race from a pace standpoint. It's a challenging race from a class standpoint. Uh, seven furlong distance is always tricky because yep. some horses love it, some horses don't. Um, and I, I really think a big part of this race could be, you know, the Sally's curling wake up because on her best, I do think that she's the best horse in the race. She's just been so off form. Complete, completely um, agree. And and that she, could be that could be a key to the race. Yeah. Yeah. Let's get to the the 10th race. We've got the another mile and a half turfer. How about that, right? We've got so many distance turf races on this card, which we very rarely see. So lots of uh, trip handicapping, lots of long distance on the turf. Um, I I think that Doswell is coming into this race in just uh, in really great form. Um, you know, most recently he was behind Largent. But he's a step slow, he's behind horses on the inside He's fifth, he's about five lengths off And he's just kind of buried behind horses He has nothing to do but sit And he starts working out a great trip And he just didn't go Like, he's in the spot that you want He's getting the jump on all the deep closers So now just go and move early Get the jump Instead he kind of waits And a couple of the horses to the outside Loom up and he gets buried inside Then he's got to wait a little bit again Um, I I didn't really love The trip, I thought if he just moved early But I do love the versatility he has He should save all the ground from the rail The horse who beat him, Largent, is going to be A top contender, I mean he's coming out of a race With Largent and breaking the rules who we're going to see In the next race against You know, a better group as contenders And you know, you look at Sadler's Joy. He's no doubt the class of this field. He's faced better for a, a long, long time. I, 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 let every, him, I let him beat me every every time. time. I don't think I've I can't remember ever playing him honestly, nope. <laughs> like nope. ever. And I'll do it again in here. Um, it, it just with his running style, he'll kind of make a nice run. He gets stuck in some trouble. He'll come running and he'll pick up some pieces. I much prefer Doswell. This was probably a race where I even uh, single in on Doswell on one ticket and then play another where I go a, a little bit deeper. How do you see the 10th? Yeah, I mean, the the question for Doswell probably is just a mile and a half. He's never yep. been more than a mile and a quarter. Um, you know, being uh, by Giants Causeway, I mean, you know, uh, you're not necessarily concerned about about the distance, but, you know, that, that would be a legitimate question. He's going sure. from a mile, Absolutely. And a mile and a half. Um, overcame a lot of adversity in that, that that Fort Lauderdale was a fast race early. Yeah, um, you know, forty six and change, one hundred nine and change going on. Holiday around. factor this, some like it hot brown are all three really quick horses who yes. were all in there. Yep. Yes, absolutely. He's working really well. He enters this off a bullet workout, uh, draws inside. You know, my my question is, does does he end up on the lead or does Tide of the Sea end up on the lead? Now, Tide of the Sea is is interesting to me. Um. Second race back off the layoff of Mike Maker. He, I don't know what happened to him early in, in, in that race. He was just, I don't know if he wasn't ready to go in the Fort Lauderdale or what happened, but he probably should have been a part of that pace too. Um, and he never got out of the gate. Check got in all kinds of trouble and actually ran on okay. Now he yeah. might have just run on okay because they went so fast early. I don't know. Um, but he's got a couple of decent efforts before, you know, prior to that. He beat a next out winner at Keeneland. He's won at a mile and a half. 
And that uh, next out winner came back and won two races in a row at fairgrounds recently. Stakes races, logical myth. Yeah. 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 So, you know, that's kind of key in there as well. Um, so, yeah, I like Doswell a lot. I think he is absolutely the horse to beat. But when I when I play this race in terms of vertical exotics, I'm going to be I, I could see it already how it's going to map out on paper for me. My tickets are basically going to be one seven, one seven with all one seven with all or one seven stuff like that, where I hope that both of them come out of that race uh, and can hit the ticket. Now, one of the horses that I think we need to talk about because he's a he's a huge question mark. And I don't know what to make of him shipping down is Sir Sahib. Um, you know, finishing second to say the word in the grade one Northern Dancer probably wasn't the depth of the grade one that the Northern Dancer normally is because of the lack of travel to Canada this year. So that might be a little bit of a phony race. But again, this is a horse that really seldom fires a, a bad race. He seems to be in the best form of his life. Yep. Um, get Saez. You know, he's a horse that if he ships down and handles it, could be one that hits the ticket here in, in a race that I think might be a little bit top-heavy. And I might prefer him to some of the other closers in the field to get a piece of this. Yeah, if that's a fair price for him. That that feels like what he should be, like 6-1-ish. to one -ish. That, that, that makes a lot of sense because he has a question mark or two, and you mentioned – Wow, the strength of some of those races, but this this isn't the strongest race in the world, right? We're like we're not talking about this as like necessarily like a deep deep like it's it's competitive, but we're not talking about a bunch of horses with grade one um you know credentials here. So he's very intriguing to me. He just he doesn't win a whole ton. He's absolutely a horse you want to have in your exactus try supers, and I want to have him on at least like one or two of my late pick four or pick five tickets because yeah, you like said. Say the word maybe isn't a legitimate grade one horse, but say the word is actually a legitimate contender in the race we're going to talk about next. And and I think it just shows you that this whole card, while very contentious, it's all sort of like everything's up about a half, like like a half of a notch. Like the, the grade one is really more like a grade, like a half of a grade one. The great, you know, everybody's up like a slot, like more than they should be. And that's fine. That makes, if that makes for competitive races, I'm okay with that. So we just got to sort of adjust uh, 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 what we look at and go, oh, okay, grade one. Well, maybe it wasn't a grade one, but heck still against this field. That's fine. To me, the horse I, I thought, I just want to mention at least, and I'm definitely going to flop him in on one ticket here or there. Look at Sir Anthony. Look at what this horse has done in his last three starts. He went a mile and a 16th on the dirt at Churchill. Then he went six furlongs on the dirt at Hawthorne. And then he went two miles on the turf and he won. He went from six furlongs to two miles on the turf. He's just a pretty cool horse overall. And when you start, he's a multiple graded stakes winner on the dirt. When you start digging back into some of his races that are off the, the front page of the past performances, you actually see that he's hooked up with some pretty quality horses on the dirt throughout his career. He's run into some nice ones, some nice actually like grade two, grade three type horses. I don't know if he's as good on the turf. That was the best grace that he's ever run on the turf last time out going two miles, but I know he doesn't have a problem getting distance. And I know he's sort of got some quality to him. He's a horse that I'm going to throw into at least some of my tries and supers. And I'm going to, uh, I'm going to toss into a, a pick four or two because uh, yeah, I thought I couldn't believe it when I was looking at it, which is the last few races, six furlongs to two miles on the turf. So you got a, you got a little speed prep for that one. DZ. 
Yeah, it's kind of like precisionist in the old days. Or uh, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah maybe, maybe that six furlong race at Hawthorne was just a workout for him. You know? Right, I know they didn't. It's like, ah, you know what? We just figured it would be a little better, and maybe we could pick up a paycheck, and we did. So, <laughs> you know, look, hats off to him. The horses run on dirt, synthetic turf. He's gone short. He's gone long. One on the wet track. <laughs> he's he's and he's a Ridgeling too. He's he's just a cool horse. Just yes. a cool horse. and yeah. uh yeah. No, I mean that last. I don't necessarily think that the two mile Allen Jerkins was was you know anything better than an allowance race, but still, cool horse Leperu, you know, comes back on board. Uh, who knows? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm throwing him in on a on a ticket or two. Now let's get to the big two races here. We've got the Pegasus World Cup Turf Internet uh, Invitational. Uh, so the 11th and the 12th both, they are like I don't know how many legitimate Grade One horses. Are really in either of these two races But I'll tell you It's a damn good betting race uh, This 11th especially and Where do you start in this wide open Turf race I, Yeah <laughs> Where do you start um, I, I'll start I'll, I'll tell you what I'll, what I'll What I'll talk about with starting Is a horse that I'm against um, I'm against the morning line Favorite Colonel Liam Me too 100%. And, it, and I'm against the horse And listen you know, he ran against domestic spending and Gufo in the in the Saratoga Derby Invitational. Those are two really good horses, and he finished right there with them. Don't get and he came back and he won the Tropical Park Derby very, very easily. He's never faced older horses in a stakes race. Um, and you know, he just turned four. I, I look worth one, you know, purchased for $1.2 million was always meant to be a good thing. I get it, you know, and it's Pletcher and it's it's Irad Ortiz, but to me, in a spot like this, this is the kind of horse that I typically would play against. And, and I really think that he is up against it from a class standpoint as he's tackling older stakes horses for the first time. And uh, if he wins, he's going to he's gonna knock me out of probably everything. Me too. I, I don't have him anywhere. I completely agree with you. It's just that I got to see more from him. I, I wasn't all – I mean, he's fine. I I just wasn't. Like all ever all that impressed with him last year He And he was good in his comeback race This is just a Like this isn't a group of grade one horses But there are a lot more fun horses To to take a shot at that are going to be better prices That I feel like you even have more upside with I mean I'm looking at a horse like another twist of fate Who might be able to get the lead in here um, I mean generally I'm not liking horses With the Southern California turf form When they come out to the to the Midwest Or to the East Coast and, and face better Turf groups but you know Rosario jumps aboard This is a horse who he has had some class He's always showed ability and then he was off For a long time he was off from you know From May to September He came back and he actually won The Long Acres Mile off of a, a long Layoff and then he goes into the uh, the Peter Miller barn and his both of his races For Miller are actually pretty good He, he just sat a perfect trip He was like jumping out of his skin uh, in, in the race last time out Very very easy win I think he's just Going to be in a in a perfect spot Because there's not that much speed in here, right? It it doesn't look like it on he paper. The court, maybe, and you know, like, but, yeah, but nobody that's like a I I have to be up front. No, the the pace the pace scenario is is perplexing. Um, I, I think Largent's going to show more speed. I think he Largent is a, is a weird horse here because that last race in the Fort Lauderdale looks really good, but. It was a crazy fast pace in that race. He and got such he, a great trip. He got an 
absolutely perfect, perfect trip. It was a great ride by Paco. Let's give it right because on paper he probably looked he he was probably higher than he should have been. In that race because people were looking at it going Okay there's like three other speed Horses in this race there's just no way He's going to be able to get the kind of trip he needs to, to win but he did so hats off to Paco yeah exactly And the problem is if you take him here You're going to take him at four to one where he was almost 17 to one you know last time So mm-hmm. so that that is a bit uh, You know a bit of a concern Th- There are a couple of horses in here That that, are, that I think are interesting Um and one of them is a big long shot that I'll talk about a uh, second. A uh, couple of horses to the outside. So Say the Word was third behind Arco in the Hollywood Turf Cup. He won the Northern Dancer. We talked about that race before. And then before that, he ran in the Sinkspiel. So I guess with this horse, see how Sir Sahib does in the uh, the previous race, the, mm-hmm. um, the McKnight, to try to get a gauge in terms of at least vertical exotics for what this horse might do. You feel like uh, Arco would be favored in here. You feel like Arklow would be favored in here. Yeah, there's no question. And the horse is, is proven to like a mile and a half. He's two for three with a third-place effort uh, in 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 that uh, going that trip. And his two best buyer speed figures also come at the mile and a half distance. Um, a real wild card for me is the other pleasure, and that's social paranoia. Yeah, I agree. Um, I have always thought that social paranoia had all the makings to be a really, really good horse. Um, you know, his maiden breaking win at Gulfstream Park was like one of those holy crap wins. Like, mm-hmm. what is this thing going to turn out to be? Uh, and they went straight into stake company with him, ran well, was really good in the Belmont Derby, ran well in the Saratoga uh, Derby Invitational, was really good against just three-year-olds, came back when he won the Appleton to start his career last year, I said, I remember saying to myself, okay, here we go. Here's the march to the Breeders' Cup turf with this horse. And then it just never kind of panned out. And I don't really know why. But came back July 4th in the poker, big win, went to the bench. Came back off of a five-and-a-half-month five layoff and ran a bang-up race at only seven-and-a-half furlongs, where I think he got a lot out of that race. Swinging wide, top of the stretch, flew home, I think the screws are completely tightened and social paranoia has a really, really big shot here uh, at a price. If he can overcome the outside post now, uh, you know, before I get to the next horse, I'll let you chime in. Cause I think social paranoia is. I agree. I agree. Yeah. He loves Gulfstream park. I have my top tier um, is eight, 11, 12 for me okay. um, with, uh, with social paranoia, with uh, the uh, say the word and then with another twist of fate and then uh, a wild card horse for me that I will throw into at least a pick four or a pick five. Uh, definitely don't know if he's good enough, but he, he feels like a new face on the upswing is uh, North Dakota for mm-hmm. Suge, who has the ability to get horses like this right. Just look at what he's done uh, since coming back into the Suge barn since early 2020. Some pretty good stuff. A couple good wins down at Tampa. Um, even a nice win over at Colonial. And then last time out, the grade three win where he was like 15 lengths off. Uh, at one point, it was one of those weird races where you get a horse who runs off early on. And he ended up getting beat to a spot. And he, he still wins the race where he, he was sort of green there. I think there's some upside with him. So he's a horse who I'll throw in at least onto one uh, ticket or two. He's an interesting horse. I remember that race at Tampa because... You know, he was like, he was an odds-on favorite there. And sometimes Shug shows up with those horses at Tampa, and they look like New York, you know, Gulfstream cast-offs. Like, mm-hmm. they're, yep. not, they're not running as well as they should. And all of a sudden, the light switch went off. Yep. He's been a completely different horse ever since. And who would have known 
10 months later, the horse was going to be racing for a million dollars. Um, he's a very interesting horse. Never discount Shug in this spot. Definitely a use for me. And I, I and I wouldn't be a race without me giving you a bomb that I think is, is worth talking about. Uh, Aquaphobia has got a shot here. Yeah. Um, Aquaphobia, last time paired up with Joe Bravo, won the grade one United Nations. Now, Which was a weak grade one, and it reminds me a lot of this race. It, that's exactly what I was just <laughs> say was it, was it an elite grade one no but it was not much different than this race now what happened he went in against the razor sharp channel maker and the sword dancer and did not fare well and then ran against you know red knight and postulation in, in the sycamore uh and, and and did not fare well there either the red smith was kind of a weird race he was really really far back early um and i look i, I don't know if he's going to circle back to his best form or not but he does get reunited with Joe Bravo. Um, he's a horse that could jump up with a big race at any time. He's eight years old. You know, does he have one more bullet in the chamber? Maybe. But at 20 to 1, which is probably what he's going to be in this race, I think he's worth including uh, on your tickets to try to liven up those exotics. We move to the uh, the Pegasus World Cup Invitational. I mean, talk about weird trajectory for horses, right? You get Nick's go, who wins the Grade One Breeders' Futurity at seventy to one. He comes back in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile at forty to one and runs second, and then he's zero for his his next nine, and he only finishes in the top three twice. He just is bad, like and and really, he comes into the Brad Cox barn. He goes back to back to back monster wins. He's the favorite in the Breeders' Cup Dirt Mile and just dust the field. And now he's going to be the favorite in this $3 million race. He's no doubt the one to catch, the one to beat. It's just, you know, does he get the kind of trip he needs? Does he get the lone F trip on the front end? And does he want to go the additional distance? He's got to prove it going a mile and an eighth. But, I mean, he's talking about form reversals and just looking like a new animal. Yeah, uh, what can you say? He beat me in the Breeders' Cup Dirt Mile. Me too, um, yeah. You know, I, I'm not going to play that kind of horse. Um, and to be honest with you, uh, I'm not. I'm probably not playing him here because I think he's going to get more pressure here. And he's going to have to show me that he can run that kind of a race outside of Keeneland. Now, I know he ran a big race at, at, at Oakland as well. But, you know, that field against versus this field are two different things. Yep. Um, and he's gonna have to show me that he can run a one away fire speed figure away from Keeneland. Um, you know, he beat Jesus's team in the dirt mile, who, yeah, came back to win the claiming claiming crown, ugh, claiming crown jewel. But if you go back and watch that race, it was not impressive. No, he was on his hands and knees and life and death to beat Storm Runner and Dak Daniels, who are just not anywhere close to the cap the competition that he's seeing here. Um, and the more I look at this race. You know, I, look, it's not a sexy pick. Everything in my gut tells me that Code of Honor is supposed to be. I'm right there with you. This just feels <laughs> like such a good spot for him. It does. It just, he's faced so much better horses throughout. And he just feels like he's an actual, like, grade one horse where a lot of these aren't. He can, you know, he was a lot closer up. Last time out than, than it even looks He was kind of close up six, couple off And then he was in some traffic, he was in the second flight He's in between, he's kind of waiting for room the, He got an, he got a great opening No, no, I mean, no doubt about that He got a nice opening late And he couldn't get by Bodie Express But he was still better than most And I just think, like 
I hate this horse. I had him in, in my fantasy league last year. I thought he was going to have a monster year, and he really disappointed me. And it's like the start of the year, I'm going to go right back to him. But I just, I, I'm with you. It feels like his spot. Yeah. I, I, I mean, th- to be honest with you, th- this is this is one of those races that I get in trouble. Because everything and everything that I see tells me that Code of Honor is supposed to win this race. Yep. And on top of it, I'm completely against... And I'm not saying I'm completely against Nick's go because if he just, you know, look, if he goes to the lead and and, and wins for fun, it's not going to shock me by any sure. stretch. Mm-hmm. But there are horses here that are, you know, morning line contenders in their price that I am completely against. Jesus's team, I don't like at all. I think Tax has no chance here. I had no no Tax for me. No thank I you. Am, I, I mean, wire to wire in the Holland, he ain't getting to the front here. And, you know, you take a look at what he did last year in this race. He's got two starts since then. The Oakland handicap, he was a virtual non-factor. I think that last race was a complete phony against Eye of a Jedi and Fat Man, who would be completely destroyed in this field. Tax, for me, is a complete toss. Uh, Mr. Freeze, for me, is a toss in this race. I don't like Mr. Freeze in here at all, either. Yeah. I don't like him from the outside, having to stalk speed from post-11. For me, this race, the way I'm going to bet, Code of Honor has got to be you know, one, two for me in this race to hit. And I'm going to give you a, a couple of horses that I think have, have a shot that are horses that in a million years, if you would have asked me for horses for this race, like five months ago, I would have <laughs> to either of these horses. Sleepy eyes, Todd has a shot. Absolutely. Um, right. He's so and, honest. And yeah. As, yeah. As crazy as that sound, look, he draws the inside. Um, I mean, the horse is just so versatile. He did, you know, going a mile and an eighth around 17 turns at Charlestown is not an easy thing to do. He wired the field that day. The awesome, again, you have to forgive running against improbable and maximum security. That's way better. Yeah. Yeah. Way way better better than what he's running against here. Then he goes to the Lafayette at seven furlongs, gets away dead last. And just like, it's like they, watching the stretch of that race was like watching. Dominic Toretto in Fast and the Furious when we get to the end of the race and the, and, he, and he says, too soon, Junior, and flips on the Nas and, and just takes off. Because that's what the last like eighth of a mile of that race looks like with this horse. And his Mr. Prospector was a really, really good race beating Forense Fire and Mind Control, who are good horses. Um, yeah, the two turns mile and an eighth is a bit of a question. It's different than running that race at Charlestown. I think he could work out a trip here a at a great price. trip. Stalking yeah. from the inside, maybe the third. I could see him right behind, not right behind Nick's go, but just in a nice stalking trip, or maybe just a little, a little farther back. Behind, he's so versatile. He's so honest. To me, he's a. I, I must use him everywhere. I'm using him with Code of Honor. I'm using Sleepy Eyes Todd. Yep. And then there's one other horse that, from a speed figure standpoint, and again, I didn't get the thoroughgraphs yet, so I haven't confirmed this, but. From a speed figure standpoint, has a chance and would be a really, really cool story to win this race. And it's Harper's first ride. Yeah. Um, I don't know if he's quite up to this comp- level of competition yet. He did win the Pimlico Special. Um, granted, a bit of a watered down edition. Um, you know, I, I don't know what happened in the Maryland Millions Classic. There's no reason why he should have lost a Monday morning quarterback. But he's come back and bounced back quite well from that race. Um, another- it was mainly just he just. Didn't broke slowly and and, and yeah. Monday morning QB just went. It wasn't even that much of a race I would knock or hold against Harper's first ride either. Yeah. Yeah. Uh his last two races have been, yeah, again, obviously not against this level of competition, but he did what he was supposed to do. 
and he ran triple-digit by a speed figure in the process. Um, the question with him is shipping. You know, when he shipped to Monmouth, he didn't run well. Uh, when he shipped to Aqueduct, he didn't run well. He, you know, maybe he's just a horse for the course at Laurel. But, I mean, the horse is 10 for 17 lifetime and deserves a chance here. Maybe he's not a major win contender, but he's got a shot to be involved in this race. So, for me, when I bet this race, Code of Honor is going to be a key for me. Sleepy Eyes Todd and 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 Harper's First Ride are going to be, you know, in the mix with me. And you're not going to see any Jesus' team. You're not going to see any tax. And you're not going to see any Mr. Freeze on my tickets. So I have a pretty strong opinion here. I'm either going to be really, really right or really, really wrong, you know. Yeah, we're we're pretty close here with um I'm sleepy eyes Todd and and uh, code of honor everywhere. I might play some sort of a ticket either even when I sing where I single like a pick five with uh, with code of honor here would be a nice one to try to just use everyone I like in the races before him to get to code of honor and and maybe see if he can uh, he can do what we think. Another ticket with sleepy eyes Todd. Um, Nick's go. I'll, I'll play one with him too because like we said, it's not like a favorite that I absolutely hate. I can. Very much see versions of this race where he just clears the field. And I'm gonna play at least on under on a few. I've chased Independence Hall a few times. I thought he was gonna run such a big one behind Charlatan uh, last time out. I thought he would get that kind of trip behind Charlatan and Nashville. He didn't. And this is such a weird move now off of that race to stretch out and go a mile and an eighth in the Pegasus off of a disappointing like fifth in the Malibu. But there's just something weird about him that I want to make sure I have on a few tickets at a massive price in case he outruns his odds. So DZ, yeah, I, we gotta yeah. I tend I tend to think he's a one turn miler to yeah. be honest with you. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think he certainly has a chance to develop into a nicer horse. We've seen flashes of brilliance from him for sure. Uh, I just, I just don't necessarily think this is the trip that he wants. Karen Zocali, awesome stuff, man. Thank you so much, buddy. Like always, uh, we were able to cover some good ground there on the stakes at Gulfstream Park. I know you'll be uh, posting a lot of stuff about Turfway. You've been doing some handicapping there, a lot of really good stuff for Twin Spires. And then on Pegasus Day, you're usually one who's uh, posting along with the big races. Where can we follow you? Yeah, I'll be on Twitter at the Track Seven. I'll be posting my thoughts throughout the day. Uh, you know, but once the, the thoroughgraph sheets will come out later tonight or tomorrow, so I'll have a bit more, uh, a bit probably a bit of better feel for for how I feel about some of these horses in the next forty eight hours. But uh, I'll definitely be posting my my best plays. And and one thing that I try to do is I try to post my actual tickets whenever possible, so that people actually see. I'm not just how you structure and, and that you're yeah. betting them too. Yeah. I'm, I'm betting, uh, you know, I feel really strong about this and, and, and look, I'm betting this race like this and here are my tickets so that, you know, the people could see, I'm not just kind of blowing smoke and just giving some thoughts. I'm actually in there playing, which I know you are too, Gino. Uh, and I think that's we, you get the angry text from me on these Saturdays sometimes. When, when, oh, when yeah. I miss oh, yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. How the hell did that horse just run that way? hundred percent. But yeah, we'll be we'll be uh, we'll be hot and heavy that day, and hopefully uh, we can catch some tickets in some big spots. Great stuff from uh, one of our best friends here, Darren Zocali. Thank you so much, buddy. Good luck this weekend. You too, pal. Thanks a lot for having me again. Okay, folks, don't go anywhere. We'll be back with plenty more. On- Huge Saturday at Gulfstream Park. Best of luck to everyone playing along. Thanks to Darren for helping us out there with that great Saturday card. Over at OldSmokeClothing.com, you horse racing fans can find tons of horse racing t-shirts, hats, zip-ups, quality clothing. There aren't a ton of places out there where they have 
great selection of horse racing memorabilia gear, all sorts of things where you can make custom designs, you can check out special collections, or you can represent some of your favorites like Tis the Law, Midnight Bisu, Authentic, She Dares the Devil, and you use the promo code G-I-N-O, it'll get you free shipping on your order, Old Smoke clothing.com show the horse racing fan in you moving along to some Saturday night racing we head to Sam Houston nine race card on Saturday keep in mind now that uh, at Sam Houston this weekend probably going to be wet on Thursday they had the races taken off of the grass so if you're handicapping those races make sure you, you give a look to horses in the grass races that that may be coming off because they may be dirt races too so you want to handicap for both or just keep an eye on that um, as a as you know each day comes Friday night and then Saturday night so best of luck at Sam Houston on Saturday Andrew joins me Let's hope we can lead you to a few winners Here's the conversation We start in race number 5 Get those past performances out for Sam Houston January the 23rd Saturday night Sam Houston Andrew Champagne joins me We're going to talk about the late pick 5 for Sam Houston just 12% takeout What's cool if you're not a pick 5 player Don't worry we're going to talk about races 5, 6, 7, 8, 9 But if maybe you just want to play a pick 3 Or a double or a pick 4 You have the opportunity to play all of those In the, the sequence of races that we're talking about And all of those For 12% takeout Really awesome Andrew We continue to, ta- uh, to talk positively About Sam Houston because they're such a fan Of the better I'm a takeout snob You know that so I love this Hey, buddy, how you doing? I'm doing really well, thanks. I'm happy to be here. We were just talking before uh, we hit record. It's a good pick five sequence. A lot of different directions you can go in. Decent-sized fields, a couple of short-priced favorites. If you beat the short-priced favorites, this thing is going to pay stacks. The question is, can you beat the short-priced favorites, especially in races seven and nine? We've got a one-to-five favorite on the morning line. One to five on the that, morning line. That rarely happens. I'm not going to say never happens, but it's rare. And if they're playing a stable duel game on Saturday, understand that if you want to use that horse, it's going to cost you. Yeah, yeah. and uh, uh, the race following that is actually an even money favorite. So we've got two races that are going to have heavy favorites. You'll have to kind of sort of decide on what you want to do with them. We'll talk about those as we get there. Let's talk about race number five at Sam Houston. Now, just keep in mind, We are recording this on Thursday night And Thursday the races came off the turf And it looks like it it wouldn't be a surprise If throughout the weekend these races were off the grass So just keep that in mind If we talk about the races that are on the turf Or if we mention things for turf or things for off the grass Make sure you go back and look before you make uh, your plays I'm sure you'll be able to tell with horses that are scratched or not But So this this race, five furlongs if If it's on the grass It's Really difficult because the two horses that feel like they're the more like the the most likely winners, they're not really consistent. You know, like Lina Rink and Zabet sort of feel like they could get the trips here, sitting off the pace a little bit, but they're no win machines. Zabet is oh for the last thirteen. Lina Rink just won, but she's only won for her last what sixteen or so. Um, where do you start with this one, Andrew? Well. I'm happy you mentioned the turf dirt situation because there are a lot of horses in here that are not turf horses. They're Mm -hmm. dirt horses. They're trying the turf or 
they're hoping the race comes off. So it's a completely different race if this race comes off the turf. I handicapped as though it was a turf race. My top selection is actually number three, Texas Music. I think it's safe to assume something went wrong last time out because we haven't seen the horse since early October. Makes the first start for William Martin, who does great work off the layoff. He's 23% with similar length layoffs. Big ROI of $3.12. Has a lot of early speed. The question with that one is, does this horse want a synthetic track as opposed to a turf course? Now, this is a low-level race compared to some of the ones she's been running at Presque Isle, so maybe that'll help her out a little bit. But I think she's got a lot of early speed and is certainly one to watch. I am using Line of Rink. Fun fact, that is an Ithaca shout-out. Line of Rink is the home rink of the Cornell Big Red Ice oh, Hockey Oh, nice. Team. Cool. So, yeah. Um, that horse actually, I believe, started the career in New York for New York-based connections, wound up going through the claiming ranks, wound up on the Texas-Oklahoma circuit. I'm using Line of Rink. The five furlongs makes me a little bit nervous because she's not an early speed type, but she did just beat similar last time out. And I'll also use a little bit of a price in the form of number six, Apollina. Yep. The one time this horse ran on the turf at Sam Houston, she won. And that was probably the best race she's ever ran. So I need to use her, especially at her likely price. And the, Three, the tr- five, and six for me. Yeah, the trip that she had feels like the type of trip that could win this race. She sat about a length off, was just kind of sitting off the pace, and then moved early when she had a, the right time to do so and was able to get to the lead early. Um, it was back in February, so we're not talking all that long ago. And last time out, she broke on top, and she really battled all the way. She just got nailed by a horse named Stay Thirsty, my amigo, who came over here and has already won at the current meet at Sam Houston. Uh, uh, right there on uh, on January eighth. Oh, I'm sorry, that was talking about. I was talking about that race. Uh, smoke another one here, Gino. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> so so uh, Andrew, pick four, pick five wise. You're three, five, six. I'm I need six everywhere. I've got the five liner rank as a horse that I still probably have to use because I she she feels like the most likely winner, even though she's not consistent. It's just that kind of a group. Other price horses that I, I might look to, uh, the seven Isabel's Joy, who really, really dusted a group uh, at Sam Houston last time out. And and sort of what you mentioned, if this race comes off the grass, this isn't a race that's actually going to get impacted all that much. I think a lot of these horses probably entered this race thinking that it might just stick on the on the dirt anyway. So we like your opinion and your handicap will change, a little bit, but it won't be a, a really small field that I think will be impacted a whole lot by that. Yeah, that makes sense. And if this race does come off the turf, Isabel's Joy hits me as the horse to beat if she runs anything close to the race that she ran last time out. Now, the question is that was her first race since September. She came off a little bit of a layoff. She's five years old. You don't see older horses bounce quite as much. But that was a pretty big increase. This is a much tougher group. I, if it comes off the turf, I'll probably have to use her. If it stays on turf, though, I'll try to beat her. Yeah, you know, this I, I wouldn't talk you off of going like spreading out a little bit in this race, especially, you know, depending on what you're going to do later with some of the chalks, either you're using them or maybe you take stands against them. That love and feeling has a. A, an okay enough turf race it, for like compared to this group if it does stay on grass like that's the, that's a race that's decent enough to be competitive here as hey, we move Gino, before yes. we move on what happened the morning that love and feeling lost the rider 
<laughs> the writer lost that love and feeling. Oh, I knew you were going there. Thank you. Oh, Thank you. I knew you were going. I've been yeah. watching a lot of the up, up, down, down Uno broadcast where Cesaro <laughs> just cuts dad jokes the whole time. I'm That's inspired, great. damn it. That is great. Uh, we move on for your late pick four, starting in race number six. This one is a maiden $7,500 claimer, mile on the turf course. Where do you begin? All. I wish I could have some sort of conviction in this race. You bring me on because most of the time I have very strong opinions. I got none here. Your likely favorite in this race is the three trophy daddy. Nothing to do with that horse. Oh, for 20. And not even good, like doesn't look good the last couple of races doing so. Just very non-threatening type yep. races where you're um, just, yeah. Yeah. Uh, your likely second choice, number six, meaningful. Oh, for 19 for a barn that was three for 64 in 2020. Mm-hmm. Gino, if you have any conviction on anything here, more power to you. This was one of those races that to me hit me as though I was looking at hieroglyphics. It's a seven horse field for a multi-race exotics ticket, especially one where I've got a couple of singles. It's not too cost prohibitive to hit the all button. It's not. I usually don't like doing that. I, I don't, I don't like relying on that as a crutch. Sometimes it feels like you're trying to take the easy way out here. It's a maiden claiming event for horses in for $7,500 tags. Your favorites over 20. Your second choice is 0 for 19. The one intriguing horse in here, and I don't even know if it's a good intriguing or a bad intriguing to me. Number seven, Fearless Prince, looks like he'll make the lead, right? Yeah, I think so. And and for for that reason, I I think the seven and the five, and and, that, and you know you're using all. I thought the seven and the five would be horses that I'd want on my ticket because I wouldn't be shocked if either one of those somehow got the lead. Like let's say the seven just doesn't break all that well. The five's not slow. Stretching out not not I think the seven's quicker so I thought the beggar thy star um, ha- Has a little bit of a shot to, to to get in the mix here with this group even though they're moving from uh, Texas breads or from Oklahoma bread that was the state bread there up into uh, open company here I don't think this is that strong of a group to where it really matters The one was the other horse that intrigued me a little bit I just thought his last race Visually the replay it was a little bit better than it looks on paper He was fifth inside he was about four Five lengths off and it was a race where there just Wasn't a whole lot of passing going on So sort of like a merry-go-round race It was okay that day I need The five I need the one I need the Two on my tickets and I actually have one ticket Mapped out where I went all but The three and, and yeah. just and just playing it because if I'm gonna go all, I'm fine chucking the three, especially if if and how you're playing the the next couple races that we have coming up. Because if you're gonna be, if you like the the favorites in the next few races and you think they are much more likely winners than this one, which I do, I think I think either of the heavy favorites coming up are much more likely to win their races than this horse as a short price to win this one. I'm okay chucking this horse out going deep. I need five, one, two. I, I sort of ranked them like five, one, two, four, seven, six, three. How I like them with their prices with the two, you know, offers at the bottom. Yeah. I mean, from a value standpoint, if Trophy Daddy is anywhere close to the two to one morning line, that's a favorite you're supposed to try to beat. Mm-hmm. And if that horse beats you, you tip your cap and you move on. Yep. I, this is a horse that's over 20, hasn't been particularly close. Goes out for a barn that was 0 for 31 last year. Look, 
If a maiden is 0 for 8, 0 for 10, that's one thing. Around 0 for 12, 0 for 15, I start becoming done with the horse and just let that horse beat me. Um, I just, I'm looking at this race, and while I understand there isn't a whole lot in the way of proven form signed on, 2 to 1 on that horse? Ugh. Yeah, not for me. Not for me. But we do move on to the seventh race. We're going to go... Uh... To some Texas breads, maidens, fillies, mares, four-year-olds, and up a mile on the turf course. And we've got a one-to-five shot on the morning line. You just don't see it all too often. And you look at Catch the Devil, and you go, really? One-to-five? But then you look at the rest of the field, and uh, and you go, okay, I, I sort of understand. Because there's just nothing else in here that is proven whatsoever. Uh, the second choice in this race at eight to one is the two night in red satin who actually, you know, you can, you can make some cases for this horse to show improvement in this spot. The problem is back on July the 27th, she tried to settle, took up, lost a few lengths, lost a little momentum, but another horse who had trouble that day too was catch the devil and catch the devil, just swooped the field and just crushed night in red satin, even with trouble that day. Um, you know, finishing, I think second, I just don't know how to approach this. Are you just going to take the free square and move on? That's what I'm going to do. Um, catch the devil to me is in what I call a now or never situation. If catch the devil does not win this race, catch the devil might not win. Um, this is a horse that has had some traffic trouble, gets an outside draw. I understand going wide on the turf is not ideal, but I prefer that to a horse that finds trouble getting caught in between horses and maybe mentally deciding, oh, I've seen this before. I don't like this. I'm just going to back out and be incredibly hard to handle. Second off a layoff, coming back to the turf. Again, turf race. We think this is going to be a turf race, but even if this race goes to dirt, this one's still got a big shot. Now, if you're playing vertical exotics and you're looking for a horse underneath at a bit of a price i thought the horse directly inside of catch the devil was interesting that's tahitian breeze tahitian breeze debuted wasn't particularly well fancied that day at 14 to 1 was one paced going six furlongs i like horses like that stretching out second time out has a 310 turf tomlinson number and there's bottom side pedigree that indicates this one might be okay her dam was a half to five winners, was by Dynaformer, so there's a big turf influence there. Too much bling is the sire. That's a sprinter influence, but the sire back from that is Rubiano. That's a little bit of turf there. It would not surprise me if Tahitian Breeze ran well enough to hit the board. It would surprise me, however, if she won. I think Catch the Devil is a single and move on type horse. Okay, I'm going to get a little crazy with one horse that I, I'm going to use um, a- along with Catch the Devil. Um, uh, and, and it'll be because in the next race, I'm going to take a, a swing against the other uh, the other chalk. So it'll be sort of the way I approach my, uh, my ticket here. I think the six here has some upside. So you, you look at Why Not Dan, who debuted against open maiden special weights at Louisiana Downs. First time out. That's a decent race. Finishing That's second. That's not bad. Like, that's not a bad race at all whatsoever. So in career start number two, you step foot on the grass and you're only five to one that day and you come out of a race where you're just never involved, but it's actually very live. Multiple next out winners in the debut. This course actually finished in front of a next out winner. Then 
hits the slop. I think you can excuse that race in you know against maiden specials, and then a couple races where again open maiden special weights against tougher. This is not a, a strong spot. There, I'm not talking about a horse that's going to be five to two. I'm talking about a horse that's going to be probably fifteen to one. So of course she doesn't look great on paper. But even the last race she came out of, she lost to a horse named Maddie's Music, who came back to win a seventy-five hundred dollar non-two next out. The horse who was the runner-up that day, Salacious Accusation, great name for a horse, won the, her next two races in a row. So she actually has two winning turf siblings and stretching out. I'd imagine she's going to be the one to catch probably. In here, uh, I, there's not that. I mean, if Catch the Devil decides to sit from the outside and just says, "Let's just sit second because we're probably the best in here," Luzzy is is aggressive, and I think with Catch the Devil, that is a, a big jock upgrade actually. With Luzzy jumping aboard because he does a really good job of getting aggressive. I'll just use those two. I'll hook them up in some exotics. Maybe the two b- uh, below them um, as another one to mention. I had him, and and then the Tishan Breeze was the other horse that you had uh, that I had also. I had him six eight with. Two and seven below them But I will throw the six on some tickets Because I I could see this horse having like a length On the field turning for home And me getting a little bit nervous If I didn't have her on my ticket With uh, with the horse like Catch the Devil Who's no win machine You know having like being the one to try to come and get her When a horse like that is 15 to one You don't need many reasons To throw a horse on the ticket If you think the horse could potentially have Even the slightest chance against a really big favorite Because Look, if why not Dan wins this race at 15 to 1 or even bigger, beating a 1 to 5? Exactly. That's how you make money in these multi-race sequences. For me, the issue was twofold. One, it's going two turns. We don't yep. know if this horse wants any part Total of that. Wild card. Two, yep. I don't know if this horse wants to go on the turf. I thought the race at Louisiana Downs, yes, it was against a tougher group. But when you get a running line that says never close. It's always a great one, right? <laughs> yeah. To it's me, always confidence yeah. inspiring. <laughs> yeah. And I understand she's by magician, which you'd think it'd be a turf influence. But if her connections thought this was a turf horse, you'd think they would have been more aggressive in finding turf spots, at least in some way, shape or form. So for me, why not Dan is certainly a pace factor. And I'm not certainly not going to talk you off of that horse if you like her. I just prefer others in this spot. And I think the bomb of choice underneath would probably be Tahitian Breeze for me. But Catch the Devil just seems like the class of this group, if you can call it that. We move to race number eight at Sam Houston. And Devilish Wit will be your likely heavy favorite. Even money on the morning line for Asmussen for Elliott, a horse who... Ran at Keeneland in the debut Was 5-2 to two at Keeneland In a race that's come back live Actually broke on top from the rail Cleared the field, then got a couple challenges And then had to sort of tuck back from the inside Couple siblings that won their debut Which she didn't win her debut But it just shows the family has a little precocity there um, What are you doing with Devilish Wit? Devilish Wit would make a lot of sense I think I've said this before on a couple of different shows With you and on my own show Steve Asmussen does this. He will take these ridiculously bred horses that struggled first time out at Churchill, at Keeneland, in the New York circuit, and he'll bring them to Sam Houston so that they at least get a win before they go off to the breeding shed because winning daughter of Tappet is a heck of a page to have. Now, I'm using devilish wit. It would not be a shock if devilish wit was just miles the best in this race. But I don't think the race is just as simple as that one. 
I think Sweet Adeline, horse number four in the program, ran really well first time out, well enough to be bet down to three to five at second asking, and then just flopped. If you believe in the bounce, I think you have to believe in the bounce back. I think she might be well met. And I'm also going to get a little crazy with a first-time starter in the form of number seven, Tiz Phelan, who's 15 to one on the morning line, and I don't think is going to be 15 to one at post time simply because of the connections. Brett Calhoun is just too good a trainer to go unnoticed by the betters. Lindy Wade's a really good jockey. I love the last two workouts, the last three, actually. You get a first-time starter going six furlongs and 113 and three in the mornings. That's a pretty big work couple of good five furlong works before that, plus an outside draw, which could help a first-time starter. I think there's stuff to like. Four, she, six, and seven for me. And I believe uh, the lone sib is running, I'm just checking right now, I think on Friday, that is, uh, tis a new day, is tis a new day, yes it is. Boom. I knew there was a reason you were looking that up. <laughs> the number nine tis a new day is running on uh, on Friday night. I actually have uh, picked on top in race seven at Sam Houston. Yeah, so the seven tis a feeling with uh, a family that's going to be uh, we're going to be seeing run uh, before we talk about before we see this race on Saturday. I love the four. I'm going to single the four, uh, sweet Adeline on on one ticket, and then that's why I can go six eight in the other race and use a, a horse along with the big favorite and maybe try to beat that horse. Uh, but in this race, I think Sweet Adeline, the debut race was excellent. Uh, I really, really liked it. And then last time out was was just uh, about a length and a half off, and, and just didn't really have a, a lot on the inside. There were four, five others that lined up in front and tried to kind of weave through traffic, but she had to go back and forth, sort of losing momentum, getting beat to spots. It was a better race than it looks on paper. There was a legitimate excuse that day. You could see. Anytime you see a running line like that where a horse is like seventh, but they're only a length behind, it's usually because something goofy is going on in the race. And that that was the case with Sweet Adeline, who has enough speed to be right on the lead, to be very competitive with Devilish Wit if they want to go. I don't even know how fast Devilish Wit really is. I actually think Sweet Adeline might be able to get in front of that one if they wanted. So I'm going to single the four on a ticket. I do think the two fearless factor... On on the jock switch alone, you mentioned uh, uh, the barn, uh, shot Lacana barn that just doesn't win a whole lot of races, and le- and now you pick up an aggressive rider like Luzzy for a horse who actually showed a little bit of ability in in the debut, finishing fourth, where it was close up on the inside, was in tight, then had to back out, lost a couple lengths, another weird running line. You see the horse was like up in third, and then all of a sudden is back five lengths out, and then doesn't. Just tire kind of comes around. I, I one of my notes was terrible ride, big job jock upgrade. So I'm expecting uh, this one um, is another horse I'll use on a pick four ticket. And and even the one A, I'm okay with throwing in Hatchet Girl. I kind of like horses like this, Andrew, when they loom up in their debut race and they flatten out. You get a little bit more bottom. I know there's enough tactical speed and and some ability. I just maybe now with a little bit more fitness from her, she could at least be a horse I could uh, throw into some exotic. So of the favorites we talked about, the big ones in race seven and race eight, I think we both agree that um, devilish wit is seems more vulnerable than than the heavy one to five favorite in race seven. One note before we move on, I really hope at some point soon they try fearless factor on the turf. By the factor out of a Montju mare, that is all turf. 
that's as good a turf pedigree as you're going to find on a horse on this circuit. And I certainly can't fault you for finding some positives there. Horses step forward at second asking. This is a barn that won at 18% last year. The inside draw to me is a little bit of a concern, especially because I just don't think she's quite as quick as Sweet Adeline or even Ultimate Force, the three horse. So having said that, though, there's some stuff to like. And we move to race number nine, closing things out. We got a $5,000 claimer where you can either have not won a race since July the 23rd or never won four mile the distance in here. We do have a Jonathan Wong horse showing up. We'll start to see more of them uh, now with a couple of horses that he has over there at Sam Houston. This mare was one that he claimed from, uh, claimed at Los Alamitos and was facing just better. Horses last time out I mean to be honest Has been facing better for a while here in Southern California now in uh, Four five and A horse who's proven on the dirt too I I I think I Have to use him I, I have to use her I sort of prefer her Even a little bit more than the seven Cotton candy kisses who's going To be moving from some of those Oklahoma bred races against Now open company I I I see another speed or two in here Maybe also so I'm not sure if she's going to get the, the That nice cozy trip she got Last time out um, I do like Bonesboro Beauty a little bit more so I'll you I'll prefer her of the favorites here Who uh, who do you need to try to close this thing out Bonesboro Beauty is a single for me In this race and I anything, see that. Cl- anything yeah. Close to three to one would represent Real yeah, value um, The race two back is the one that I'm going to focus On she ran third in an $8,000 race not on this circuit, but at Del Mar, okay? So 8,000 claimer at Del Mar, two starts later, she's at Sam Houston. The horse that won that race was a horse named Page Runner who got very, very good late last year and early this year. They actually tried her very aggressively in an allowance race at Santa Anita just a couple of days ago. That proved to be a little bit too tough, but still, this is a horse that has been hitting her stride and has certainly come around. She was third that day. She was nowhere near as close to the pace as she needed or wanted to be. I think she's going to be in this race pretty prominently from the jump. I don't like cotton candy kisses. I don't like betting horses off of perfect trips last time out. When you get an uncontested lead in 25, 50 and one, 115 and one going a mile, there's something wrong if you don't win that race. And she won by six lengths, and that's fine and dandy. That was against Oklahoma Breds. She was this... twenty to one that day, and she wasn't consistent. Really, she hasn't been consistent, yeah. and now she steps up. I'm supposed to take her at two to one. No, thank you. Yeah, that's for sure. She ran okay here a couple times last season. It wouldn't shock me if she hit the board, but I can't bet that horse to win off of that kind of effort and off of the possibility that there might be a bounce this time. Just off the buyer speed figure, she had been hovering in the low to mid 40s or even the high 30s. She ran a 64 last time out. I don't think she can replicate that, and she might have to in order to beat Boonesboro Beauty. If there's another horse in here that you're going to use underneath or on smaller tickets, the class dropper that I would use actually is number three, Tickle Bunny, who gets a gigantic trainer switch from a 4% barn to Danny Pish and drops down significantly in class. The last time she ran for a $5,000 tag, she was beaten just ahead, was disqualified and placed third that day, but still a very good effort at Remington. I think that's the one that on tickets where I single the five, I'm going to be a little bit worried about. Lane Luzzy, Danny Pish, a lot to like there, obviously. But for me, Boonesboro Beauty coming in for Jonathan Wong, 
I think she is absolutely the horse to beat. And if she is not favored, I will have a pretty substantial win bet on her. I'm going to use three horses as my top tier A horses, however you, uh, you want to d- describe them. You mentioned two of them the three, Tickle Bunny, and the five, Boonesboro Beauty. The one that I'm going to throw in as a big price. That I, I think you know I can make cases for This is something that you and I do quite a bit You look at a horse like she's too cool And you say okay two poor races In a row one of them sent to the bench For a while one of them coming off the bench for a while The toss and two angle The toss two you know you put a line through Those two races then dig Into this horse's form a little bit more She actually would fit with, with everything She was doing prior to that those races at Louisiana they would stack up You look back she's got a couple poor races Well they were at Oaklawn Park earlier in the year when Oaklawn Park at you know in April especially look at that race that was against a much much tougher group even though it was Arky Breads that was a loaded loaded group I think there's enough speed for her to just try to send from the inside and say hey that's got to be the game plan in here we can maybe get a, a couple lengths on this field let's try to get aggressive I think at 15 20 to 1 she's worth throwing in especially if you're you're playing small tickets from you know singling the one to five And singling some horses earlier in the sequence You're going to want to have at least One leg where you give yourself A couple opportunities for some prices If it's not this one that's fine But if it is if this is the race you're looking to spread out a little bit There's a lot worse that you can do Andrew with the horse that's got some early speed That's going to be stretching out that we can make Some excuses for if she had run A good race in either of her last two She'd be five to one in here and not 15 Or 20 The one concern I have here as my cat jumps on me and has deemed this of all times as an acceptable cuddle time is it seemed as though her form took a big downward turn after the trainer switch away from Steve Asmussen. Now, no disrespect to the current barn. That's a 10% barn. It would not surprise me if that barn got her turned around. But I'm not sure whether the last two efforts are the toss two situation of something going wrong and then needing a race, or if it's a situation where she's just had trouble going to a new program. I and, can see, though, a lot of the 2020 races she ran at Louisiana and then before that at Oakland and Remington, she's absolutely got back form that's good enough. The question is, can she channel it? And that becomes a little bit less of a burden when you're talking about a horse that's going to be 20 to 1 as opposed to 4 to 1. That's exactly what I was going to counter with. I'm glad you mentioned it because you're absolutely right. You, it's it's good when you have a conversation with any of your friends like we do here when we cover the races <laughs> because you, you talk things out and then it's that. It's that you're right. The counter is she absolutely may have just Sort of just not be the same horse now Which she's in a different barn Not the same as I mean Asmussen's one of the best barns right You're not There are very few that are going to move you up off Asmussen But I'm willing to Give that a, a chance I'm willing to To be okay with That may not be the fact Because of the price The price always building into it Has to be a key right If this horse was a shorter price I would look at you and say Yeah you know what At that much of a price There are some questions But when when we're getting up here in the fifteen to twenty, you can be so much more forgiving about things at these at this odds that you're expecting than when you get horses that are five to one, five to two underneath. Where the point of of those horses is what we're kind of trying to do is is find the, the the their issues, right? Find reasons why not to play them. Whereas with a horse like this, we're kind of only looking for one or two reasons to play them. Yeah, exactly. And a lot of that goes back into ticket structure. If you've got a couple of horses that you really like earlier in the sequence and you can afford to spread out a little bit and you find a horse where you go, okay, 
Do I think this horse is likely to win? Maybe not. Could this horse win? And most importantly, if this horse wins and I don't have it on my ticket, will I want to quit gambling, throw a fit (laughs) on Twitter, announce a retirement from betting horses and come back again tomorrow? If the answer to that last question is yes, <laughs> you have to use the horse. Exactly. Andrew Champagne helping us out here with the uh, the Sam Houston late pick five for Saturday. You're also uh, all over Twitter. Uh, a lot of these these nights because that's what I kind of like about Sam Houston uh, night cards. We've sort of got a, a group, a little group now over the last year, year and a half that seems like they play a lot of these uh, these tickets. Uh, a lot of the pick fours, pick fives in particular, they play a lot of the night racing, and we're we're talking with each other on. Twitter giving out some information so um, Give us the, the folks out there where can we Follow you and uh, what's going on with Champagne And JD this week yeah um, Twitter is at Andrew Champagne Of course Champagne and JD this Week is going to focus on the Pegasus World Cup We've got Barry Spears coming by we're Actually nice. taping that in about a half Hour or so so that's going to be fun I've already seen all of our pick four Tickets trust me you're going to be getting Three completely different Approaches <laughs> cool. to the late pick four great. sequence On Pegasus Day It's a really good betting card. We can talk a little bit about the quality of the Pegasus World Cup, not necessarily being up to snuff compared to what it probably should be given the desired stature of the race. But you know what? That got a 12-horse field. The turf got a 12-horse field. The grade three before that got a full field. And the race before that is a really good race for older fillies and mares that are sprinting on dirt. And that got some very good horses as well. It's a fun card. Really excited to be able to go through that. And hopefully excited to make a little bit of money playing that card as well. Champagne and JD on YouTube. You can go there. Check out what we do. Hit the subscribe button so you don't miss any of our weekly updates. Twitter is at Andrew Champagne. Lots going on, lots, and I mean a lot going on, particularly this week. Andrew, buddy, always love the work that you do. Thank you for helping us out here. The folks on That's What G Said, love hearing from you. Tell Barry, tell JD, I said hello, and uh, we will be talking to you next week with more Old Wrestling Rewatch. Sounds good, man. I'll talk to you later. Don't go anywhere, folks. We're going to take a quick break on That's What G Said. We'll be back with plenty more. Big thanks to Andrew. Nice handicapping, as always. It's all uh, interesting when you have to navigate a sequence like that where you've got a heavy 1-5 to five favorite on the morning line. Do you play? Do you play against? How uh, is your approach going to be in that late pick 5 sequence on Saturday at Sam Houston? I know that when I head over to sarahcandles.com, I'm going to get a winner because I am going to get a quality candle, all-natural soy wax, free from toxins, none of those carcinogens or pollutants that are found in a lot of the other leading brands, lead-free cotton wicks, locally sourced, handcrafted in the USA, 25 different scents available, and they offer you a little bonus because you're a listener of That's What G Said. When you use the promo code G-I-N-O, you get 10% off your purchase. This is a perfect gift for someone. Valentine's Day coming up. A great gift. A couple candles for one of your friends, family members, loved ones. SarahCandles.com, C-E-R-A, Candles.com. Use that promo code G-I-N-O. It'll get you 10% off of your purchase. Final segment on this episode of That's What G Said. We're going to go over everything that's been happening in the last week of wrestling. So we talk about SmackDown. We talk about Monday Night Raw. We talk about AEW Dynamite. And some thoughts on NXT with Chad Cooper. Everything happening in the world of wrestling. This week in wrestling with Chad Cooper. 
are back for another segment of This Week in Wrestling on That's What G Said. Our buddy Chad Cooper here to talk with us about everything going on in the world of wrestling. We've got SmackDown, we've got Raw, we've got AEW to talk about. Koopa Loop, my man, how you doing? I'm doing wonderful. Thanks for asking. Still licking my lo- my wounds a little bit from uh, the Cleveland Browns kind uh, of I- debacle from last weekend. But you know what? I, you know, fantastic season. They covered the spread, so I look forward to uh, to next football season already. And I got to say, you know, before we get into our, our wrestling, of all the teams that lost last week, and really everyone who's lost in the last few weeks, you never want to you want to take uh, positives from losing, but it just it feels like they are one of the teams that are on the improve. They're on the way up. I mean, one or two bounces, uh, the touchdown that becomes a touchback, that's a different game, and, and they're playing this weekend in the conference championship. So I, I got to say, between Baker, Stefanski, the organization, they did a damn good job this year. Yeah, it's a fun season. Uh, it was a great ride, big uh you know, first time making to the playoffs in quite some time, winning a playoff game and having a chance to win the second round. So, no, all good. Uh, all good. Okay, let's talk about everything going on in the world of wrestling. We'll get back to last week at SmackDown first. And uh, I got to say, the Roman Reigns stuff is really, really good. I'm, I'm really enjoying this. We've got Roman and hey, uh, and Paul Heyman. And they're changing the stipulations for the title match at, at Royal Rumble. A lot of people were, were upset for like a week. They said, oh, no, we're going to get Adam Pierce in one of the main event matches of the Royal Rumble. This guy never even really wrestled in WWE. And now he's going to be headlining a pay-per-view, this or that. But we knew there was a wrinkle coming up. And I got to say, like, for a guy who they never really um, – like he just sort of appeared on WWE TV one day. They never even really introduced him to you. It's just kind of like, oh, yeah, there's a executive, Adam Pierce. I thought this this stuff has been pretty good. So we had, you know, Roman and Heyman changing the stipulation for the title match to a no DQ and then a false count anywhere. And then we get the bait and switch at the end. I thought this was was fine. And I think one thing that wrestling uh, is missing a little bit nowadays are some of the like the episode long storylines like we got on that SmackDown. Yeah, and we talked about it a couple of weeks ago uh, with KO and Roman Reigns. You know, kind of, you know, are we tired? You know, is this the last? Is that the last match? You know, the cage match. Uso helps again, but this was compelling writing, and that's where you have to give WWE a lot of credit. Yeah, they they butcher to us fans uh, what we think are butcher uh, a lot of storylines and why they do this why they do that but smackdown has been very very good it's it's a Daddy. different show yeah it's yeah. a different show than raw even though raw is getting much much better with the alexa bliss uh stuff but you know this storyline was great i was mad i you know i my favorite word to use this is a joke you know i, I yep. said you know th- this can't work and then uh you know lo and behold they, they give us ko and they lead us put to believe he has a legitimate shot at defeating defeating Roman Reigns at the Royal Rumble. He probably won't, but it's a compelling storyline to bring him back. Yeah, I completely agree. This is this was good. And and we'll get a good match out of these two guys. And uh, it was a good way to end with the bait and switch with with Pierce is out there with the contract signing and he says, Oh, you know what? I got a, a <laughs> knee injury, a card subject to change. And then uh, KO signs the contract. That, that was good, and we can tell, Chad, uh, one of the things that I've been reading is that one guy who is now becoming more heavily involved in the creative side on SmackDown is Daniel Bryan, 
And you can sort of tell through like the rebuilding of Nakamura, Cesaro. Oh, Daniel Bryan is like putting guys over right now because he wants to elevate all of them and he knows that getting a win over him is a big deal. It's pretty amazing what they've done in just a few weeks with Nakamura. We we gotta say that for all the crap we give WWE, it seems like anytime they do one of these gauntlet match gimmicks, somebody really gets over and they and they sort of run with them. I mean, Nakamura was floating around for like a year and a half in obscurity. And he actually feels like he has a legitimate shot to win the Royal Rumble right now after just a few weeks of, of kind of fixing him. Yeah, you know, they put a belt on him, you know, and then, you know, put him in a tag team. They win a tag team title here and there, and they kind of do this. And then, lo and behold, we see Shinsuke of old of wow. why no. WWE signed this guy and brought him over uh, to North America for us to enjoy him. And over the last couple of weeks, what he's been able to do and then just another fantastic match from him. And, of course, Jey Uso, who's a great worker. He's and then awesome. Cesaro's the same same boat. You know, they, those guys were in a tag team together. And, and now we're starting to see this display. This is what we wanted on SmackDown when these guys were drafted over there. And with Daniel Bryan kind of leading the way, as you mentioned, we're seeing the best of these guys. And this is the reason why, one of the biggest reasons why WWE signed these guys to bring them over. I completely agree. It's just, it's like you can stack a bunch of talent on your team, but if you don't have the right coaches, you don't have the right coordinators, it's just a bunch of guys. You're never, you're never getting the best out of them. Right now, it, we, it feels that way with a lot of them. Like you just look at some of the guys there uh, who, who are starting to get elevated. Someone like Apollo Crews. Yes. Right? I yes. mean, we've always seen him as the smiley, happy-go-lucky Apollo. He's great in the ring, but he doesn't really say much. I like this version of Apollo Crews with some edge here. He he comes off like a badass, and all it takes is putting him like reacting to a Paul Heyman, you know, shot at you. You you sit him next to Roman and Paul, and then he has one match where he rolls the tights. And he, now look, he's sort of heelish, and he feels just like he's got a little personality to him now versus the kind of bland Apollo that we've seen for two years. Just the little simple things, what it takes to get a WWE superstar over now is just one little segment. You know, we laugh at, well, not we, but a lot of people make fun of Roman Reigns. A lot of people make fun of John Cena. Oh, they do that. They're so good with other talent. And just putting Apollo in the dressing room on the couch with Roman and Paul and just kind of sitting there and just, it you know, felt Paul right. Talking, yeah, didn't it? It, it? Yeah, it was like it wasn't a, okay, what is this guy doing here? And it ties in where he uses the trunks, the roll up to pin yeah. Sami Zayn. That's 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 just that's too good right there. That's good stuff. Stuff it is. It, those are little things that we, when we complain, we we don't see those kind of things, right? right. But when right. we see them, I think we definitely have to say, "Wow, that was a good job. That was like really good storytelling here, dropping little hints, giving us little ideas of, of what's to come." I thought that was really good stuff. Um, Sonya Deville as the authority figure. I'm, I mean, I, she's such a badass in the ring, you know. Like, I, I'd like, I'd like to see her in the ring as much as possible. But getting her on my TV, I'm fine with that. I think she's a talent, and hopefully, this will lead to just more of her on the TV. Getting her back in the ring a, a little bit more, I'm okay. But, but I guess. With her and sort of with Billy Kay, one of the things I don't like is when 
they make a change and they don't seem to have a plan. Like Billy Kay's <laughs> new gimmick was sort of fun. I, I do think that it was pretty funny when she dressed up in all the punk gear. And this particular like little little um, segment when she's coming down with the riot squad and they keep looking at her like, what the hell is she doing and wearing? And she's trying to celebrate <laughs> with them and, and do the punk. Like, I thought this was okay. But between here and what I see over on Raw with Peyton Royce where she's kind of just been like flung back into a tag team. I love these girls as iconics, uh, you know, and I wish I I guess knowing that they don't have much for the last couple months, I would have rather just see them stick together. Yeah, you know, Billy Kay is so uh entertaining. I guess you can't keep her off TV. You know, yeah. you, you, you bring her in all these segments with her resume and it's her headshot. Funny. It, it's funny, but then, you know, you kind of do the gimmick where she runs through the ring and and she cost uh, Liv Morgan the match eh, I, 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 I'm not a fan of that I, I'm a fan of her segments But yeah, if, if you're going to separate them And then put Peyton Royce uh, in a tag team uh, With Lacey Evans Which that's kind of separated now With Lacey now with a uh, a feud with, with Charlotte Flair Yeah, just stick them together You know, they're going to be in the Women's Royal Rumble But, you know, just keep them together Because they were popular You know, yeah. they were the tag team champions And never on TV But, you know, they they're too entertaining to keep off TV, especially yes. Billy Kay, but she kind of just floats around here and there. I don't mind her bouncing from team to team, but I don't like her getting involved in these little hunky dory style ending matches. We uh we get some Dominic Mysterio and Ray, and and Dominic is on commentary while uh Ray is uh has got a match with Corbin. He actually mentions, and I I don't know if I'd heard this before, that he and Ray possibly may go for the tag team championship. So I, I'm kind of uh, a little interested in in the Mysterios heading for the tag team titles, or maybe we get a situation where with the Royal Rumble coming up with both of them in there, does maybe son eliminate father and we get <laughs> something there, I, I, you know, with the Rumble coming up, um, there are some options and you know, the two of them in a tag situation, I think would sort of be feel good. A lot of people would, would get behind that. Yeah. And it's new, you know, it gives yep. a, a, it gives a new tag team. Uh, yeah, you know, it, it's kind of interesting what they're doing with Corbin, too. I think they're just kind of filling in, buying time until we get to the Royal Rumble. Um, yeah, we know the Royal Rumble is going to have so many twists and ups and downs, uh, and that would be perfect. That would be perfect for the young one uh, to throw the father over the top rope and eliminate him. They kind of teased it for a while, mm-hmm. you know, but then again, you know, Buddy Murphy's not around um, anymore. You haven't seen him for a while, yeah. You know, hadn't seen him for a while because – you know, I, that storyline went away because Seth is taking time off, um, goes to Raw, comes to SmackDown. So, yeah, that would make, uh, you know, a breath of fresh air in a tag team division that's, you know, kind of seems like the championship titles aren't really that important right now. So that, yeah. that would help if they make a run at it. And one of the final things that we saw on uh, on SmackDown, we we talked about Daniel Bryan. He had that awesome match with Cesaro. That Cesaro won big big for him. Uh, but we got Bailey with the Ding Dong Hello <laughs> segment, which I actually thought was pretty funny. Bailey's done some great work as a heel, and so next week we've got the Obstacle Course Challenge <laughs> with Bianca coming up. Gotta think that Bianca is on the very short list right now for uh, for possible winners of the Rumble. Yeah, she's, I mean, look, solid, uh, great in NXT, has been called up, uh, you know, has had some good moments on some pay-per-views, had some good moments on Raw and, uh, you know, on SmackDown. Uh, her and Bailey will be fun. Bailey's been entertaining since she went hill and cut her hair, and she could put anybody over. This will be a fun little gimmick as long as they don't draw it out too long like the Viking Raiders 
you know, that we had yeah. to see. Give us one week of funny, things. goofy one stuff. Week, that's it. Yeah. That one week, that's it. And then have a great match and let's move on. And yeah, yeah. She's got to be uh, one of the one of the favorites to win the women's match for sure. She's going to have a nice run and, and she'll look really good uh, doing some feats of strength uh, where she eliminates maybe like Naya or a couple, you know, at the same time. So expecting a, a big run for her. Let's take our run over from SmackDown to Raw. And, and sort of before, I guess, uh, overall thoughts, the one guy in my head I keep thinking about right now uh, with a few weeks, we haven't, you know, he's had the, the kid with Becky. We haven't heard a lot about him. Are we going to get a Seth return at the Rumble? And then what, what generally happens when somebody comes back, they're a baby face. I, I you know, in my head, I want to just sort of close my eyes and eliminate a lot of the whole, like, um, Messiah and 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 if and like I picture Rollins as a like if you're looking at Roman Reigns, a few of the people that you can feel that would be a good matchup against him as like a fiery babyface to come back and take the title from him. One guy that keeps coming up in my head is Seth. I just don't know if they want to bring him back as the you know version of Seth as the babyface to save the company type guy, but he feels like. If they wanted to go in that direction, that's one of a few guys that you could put in the ring with Roman that you've got all the, the stuff built up and that you could say, oh, yeah, Seth might be able to beat him. So I, I keep thinking about him as someone. Yeah, and you get a clean start, too. So yeah. if he comes back and, make, and makes a run and wins that, how great would Seth versus Roman be oh, uh, man, in, in a be title great. picture? So, yeah, you get a clean start with him. And you could start over, and he's, you know, he, he comes back fresh, and that would be a great opportunity and kind of a, a new feud for, for Seth Rollins and Roman Reigns to go together. They've never really been on that side, right? Because it was always like heel Seth when w- against Roman as the babyface, and the crowd never really knew what to do in that situation because they're like, hey, we like Seth more than Roman, and this isn't going to really. So maybe, <laughs> a, a, you know, I could, ro- I could see Seth getting one of those like Triple H pop. Sort of, oh, he's oh, back. Yeah. People kind of forget what he's done the last six months. Like Seth Rollins comes out flying around off the top rope, hits a few like crazy uh, <laughs> sling blades, you know. And so I, maybe that's wishful thinking for me because I've I've sort of always wanted the babyface version of Seth to be a little better than the ones that we've got in in WWE. He's been so good as a heel. I, I do think that with the right push. They, he could be that guy, but we've seen like WWE doesn't really write great for baby faces. They do they do a better job for heels as uh, one of those heels with with, with the new look loot, uh, new look old school lucha mask. Randy Orton, who's <laughs> <laughs> this this little to open the raw where he's he's talking and he's uh, I actually it made me sort of laugh. I thought it was pretty funny. It was really campy and. I enjoy that WWE is doing this Bray Fiend, uh, Bray Fiend, Alexa, Orton, Fireball stuff when there's no crowd there. Because this is actually something they can try to do and make a little bit better with no live audience. Some of the cuts that they do with Alexa in the main event, some of the things they were able to do with the fire. So, you know what? Like, it's hokey. But we saw hokey with Kane and The Undertaker a lot. Um, I don't mind it, it, it doesn't bother me I'm not offended by it And I think that hey you know what They're they're looking at this going We still don't have a lot of fans Let's try to do some things Where we can maybe get a little creative Get outside the box So he says that he's uh, 
he keeps seeing the fireball coming at him. He said he should have uh, buried Alexa first. It, it, <laughs> he's basically like giving us the Cobra Kai. I I I showed you mercy, and then you burned me in the face. You know, so no more mercy, no more mercy for you. And uh, and I mean, this is this is pretty funny. He says he's going to win the Rumble, and he says not only is he wearing the mask to protect himself, he's here to shield it. <laughs> To shield all of us from the the horror, it almost reminds me of the Cody Rhodes mask that he used to oh, wear, yeah. right? Sure, the, sure. He'd like hide from it. No, no, I'm disfigured. <laughs> I, I couldn't help but keep laughing at this. It made me chuckle. Yeah, you know, every time we talk, we talk about how great Randy Orton is in the <laughs> ring, out of the ring. Just a <laughs> another masterful promo, and it was great. They start off raw with it, of course, because it was a crazy ending the week before with Alexa Bliss, as you mentioned. You know, one of my favorite lines: uh, "Damnation he received for sh- showing compassion." You know, <laughs> and, and now you have the mask, and he's going to wear the mask in the Royal Rumble. Um, I, I just think it, it's fun. Um, it's kind of dark and demented. It's something that Raw needs. And uh, to, to do it with Alexa Bliss with The Fiend off on TV, that shows you how strong Alexa Bliss is playing this yeah. character. You know, it, it, she looks great. She's good in the ring. Uh, you know, the pigtails, all, all that stuff, the cosplay stuff. But, man, that was such a great performance uh, last Monday. And then to get this from Randy Orton to kind of tie it in. And then the main event and the segments – Man, it was solid, and I know I there are a lot of Os- I know there are a lot of Oscar fans out there, and I saw on Twitter they were really, really mad what happened. Um, Oscar shouldn't be afraid of anyone, blah blah blah. But man, put that belt on Alexa Bliss right now and let her go for a couple of weeks with this promo, because you you only strike gold only w- once in a while with certain characters, and you got to run with them when they got to do got- it now. You got to do it now. You can't put them on the back burner. We've seen them like Braun Strowman for perfect example, right? He was so hot. Give him the belt, run with it. You don't do it. You let him kind of sit, sit, sit. And then it's like, by the time you give it to him, people don't really care. You got to do this right now. I agree. And the the thing is, is, and I, I, I disagree with the people who are Oscar fans that say that because I, I, I love Oscar. Sure. I think she's phenomenal. She is on any short list of the absolute best, and I think she should always be someone who's in the main event picture. To me, she's sort of now like in the Charlotte mode where it's like she's just so good you could just slot her in there anytime. But after she's had a really good run right now. She was like one of the big bright spots throughout the whole pandemic. No fans, how they sort of let her be her again, really going crazy and just like cutting promos in Japanese. And people are like looking at her like, what the hell is she talking about? Like she finally, she was great on the commentary table and she would kind of come and just like dance around and straight. So I I think she's had a good run. I don't think she's going to be completely just shoved back down the card again. Um, I, this is the time for Alexa. It's like, this the spooky character should scare her. Think about the Undertaker, man. He used to scare the the most badass people because it's the stuff like how many badasses gave the Undertaker a scared look throughout their years. Right. No, you're you're spot on. And it gives them an out. You know, we often wondered would we do would we ever find out what who Abigail was? I, I'm not saying this is this is the the final story of that, but it kind of fits the mold, what she is, right? It does. And, and it gives you an out down the road with her with the belt to her to lose the belt. And this character goes away because she can't stay this character forever, right? Bray Wyatt can because that's him, but she can't 
But right now, this is so good. And her to do the upside down spider and, and then the theatrics she there was at the phenomenal. end. That was amazing, man. No, nope, like that was it's perfect. Yeah, perfect. Her, her, her entire, throughout the whole episode, this is another one where I think they're figuring this out again. It, it's funny just looking at Raw and SmackDown and seeing the like feeling some of the effort they put into their show th- this last week, whether you liked it or not, like whether you like the, the angles, it felt like they're at least putting. Effort into it and then when we get to NXT Or when we get to AEW in a little bit I really felt the opposite of their show oh, that yeah, we just yeah. Watched I thought this yeah. was one of the worst AEW Shows that I can remember um, But but uh, you know over on Raw we have Again a situation where You've got this Alexa stuff all Throughout the episode which really Keeps you engaged and the, the the stuff with the playground Alexis playground with Oscar where Oscar sort of getting creeped out and then even in the match later where Alexa's going from like Alexa to fiend <laughs> version Alexa she's going to the dark character she's going she's no selling and and the way like she's such a good actress one like with her facials with the expressions that she that she gives and two I think people forget Alexa's really good in the ring And you could see how good she was Just by like how clean She was no selling things Or how she would just pop right back up She hit that sister Abigail And it, that, that thing looked damn good Yeah it was beautiful I, I mean it, it was it, That segment and that match was so entertaining And what has happened You know with Randy Orton at the beginning Then we, we have uh, You know Alexa's playground in the middle It kind of Unfortunately, overshadows one of the best matches I've seen in forever with AJ Styles and Ricochet. That shows you how good things are right now. Yeah, the ratings may not be fan- fantastic, and the demos this, the demos that, but we're getting some good stuff right now from the E. We're getting some really good stuff from them. I think this is what has to happen too: is that it takes about a month where people start going, "Oh, you know what." And and then the, and then the like the word of mouth catches on and the buzz sure. catches yeah. back on and then yeah, people tune back in again you know and it it generally happens around this time like right You're after right. football season like every year you know it's when it starts to pick back up on the road to WrestleMania and people go oh like have you seen the Roman stuff on SmackDown that's really <laughs> good and oh wow like Daniel Bryan's doing a lot of stuff over there now like Shinsuke looks like Shinsuke Cesaro had an awesome match like, and then people go oh you know what like. They're pushing Bianca over there Like wow there's like four or five things going on And then you flip over to Raw The Randy stuff's interesting The Alexa stuff's interesting Um, You know now we're getting You you mentioned It feels like And I don't want to I don't want to get too crazy But when they do something like this With Ricochet to where it's Hey Ricochet you're going to have to win To get in the Rumble And now that feels like a storyline I'd imagine he's going to be in the Rumble And he's going to at least eliminate someone To set up some sort of feud I feel like I don't think he's going to win And be in the main event of Wrestlemania But I think he's going to have a moment In the Rumble It it feels like you don't You don't have a set like this Where he loses his hard fought match And now he's just not in the Rumble Right He's going to end up in there some way somehow Yeah and just you know Like Shinsuke Coming over and showing this talent And AJ Styles One of the best that's ever stepped into a ring Especially for his size I, you know, man, I, I popped. I'm not gonna lie. I I, I marked out uh, the Styles Clash at the end. It was amazing for AJ to pull off. But you got to think, how did Ricochet do that from the ropes and and just week in and week out? This guy has been getting beat down all the time from either the Hurt Business, uh, you know, AJ Styles. Somebody's always beating this guy up. And like you said, they usually 
build this guy, build a character up. He, they, he or she loses, 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 loses. Then all of a sudden makes this run. And I think he's going to have a massive run in the Royal Rumble match. I'm with you. I, I don't think he wins, but I think he, he does some incredible things like we've seen Morrison, like we've seen uh, Kofi. I think Ricochet is that guy this year for this match. He could instantly be back. If you put him in at number one and he's got the Iron Man run to Let the final for four. An hour. Absolutely. And Absolutely. like Spot you put on. him in because just going through and watching some of the old rumbles, they're always the best when you've got that Iron Man or Iron Woman in there. You know, someone sure. who you put in at the beginning and they're in there for 45 minutes to an hour and the whole match you keep going, oh yeah, they're still in there. Look, oh, they're going to do something crazy. He would be the most perfect guy to just let him shine out there and interact with everyone that comes out. Oh, look, it's Ricochet and Randy Orton. Oh, look, it's AJ. Oh, look, and just let him show off. I mean, he would instantly feel like a big deal if you let him do that and he that would be perfect i i would love to see ricochet get a chance to get that that long run oh where do we stand with rick flair and lacey evans uh, as uh, oh, they man. arrive together she's quote unquote learning from him she wears the uh, the rick flair robe they even mentioned like some sort of tmz so they're they try to distract charlotte with the in the match with peyton royce charlotte still ends up winning this and then she cuts the promo later on and, and she says you know I, I don't really care and take the road but I, i'm still the queen what do you think of all this stuff with lacy you know we thought it was gonna be a one-off right and yeah. you know of course we were wrong but yeah. you, you, you know if anybody can pull it off it's rick and charlotte it's true you know it, it, it is i i thought maybe peyton should have got the cheap win uh I this week you know i kind of felt that charlotte doesn't need to win every week no. to be to be great no. So it would kind of fuel that storyline a little bit more. I'm sure we're going to get a, Char- a Charlotte Lacey Evans type match here pretty soon. But like you said, Charlotte mentions, hey, I've got to go back to being the dirtiest player in the game to learn my way to start doing this. So it's okay. I like Lacey Evans. I'm a huge Lacey Evans fan. But it kind of feels kind of, uh, we've seen this before. Yeah, I, I'm still, jury's out. I guess we'll see where, where it goes in the next few weeks. For a while, we've had uh, Lashley getting involved with the Hurt Business uh, yeah. Lashley yeah. involved with uh, with Riddle. Lashley stomps on Riddle's foot here, and uh, and they have a match later on. Uh, but it it still looks like we're we're not quite finished with the Riddle Lashley stuff. I just want I sort of just want one. Give me one 15 minute <laughs> match with these two guys, right? We've been kind of teasing and like and like dancing around it for a while, but I feel like if these two guys go out there for 15 20, they'd really be able to tear the house down. Yeah, I, uh, again, a, a huge Matt Riddle fan, always have great indie work, uh, fantastic in NXT. Kind of like he's kind of been the kind of goofy, comical character, which that kind of is his persona. You know, hey, bro, hey, bro. But let's not focus too much on that because the dude can really work. We've seen him and AJ Styles on the main roster go at it. Yeah. And that's Those matches were good. Him and Lashley would be great. You know, we've been talking about and been seeing this tease between uh, Cedric Alexander and Shelton Benjamin. We kind of saw it Monday night. They Maybe were something in the Rumble. Yeah, Lashley tags himself in and kind of takes care of business. So... Yeah, let's let's you know, let's do Lashley and and Riddle and let the hurt business kind of turn on each other and kind of meander off after the Royal Rumble because I am kind of burnt out on that storyline a little. It was fun. I like MVP. Big fan of him, but it's kind of eh, it's kind of old hat now. I agree. Um, I, I really liked uh, Mustafa Ali's promo about. Oh, Kofi. It was fantastic, wasn't I it? It was great. It was very real. He talked about how he stole his spot in 2019. Yes. Remember. 
Mustafa was the one that was supposed to win that gauntlet match and then go on and be the number one contender and get a big spot at WrestleMania. And it ended up going to Kofi. He wins. He goes on. And I, I thought, you know, this was good. And if they're going to sort of rebuild Mustafa with this too, we maybe we can just kind of put the retribution stuff from the last couple months in the back of our head, but see him as a bigger deal with some, you know, with some, some, some lackeys there to help him out. Uh, I like this. I thought it was really good. It was real personal. And when you didn't see the rest of retribution in the video, that kind of helped me um, kind of communicate and connect with him and made it more personal. Like he was saying, you know, like, as you mentioned, I mean, dude, this was me. I was supposed to win that title. You know, this was supposed to be my run. I took you out. So that was perfect. That, that was great. Um, He deserves another run because he's an absolute star in the ring. And that promo definitely helped kickstart this. And uh, that's going to be interesting to see if they can keep that momentum going with him because that was a big promo from him. That was. That was that was some big stuff there, and this guy's capable. He showed us. Uh, he's dropped some really good promos on Twitter. He he's really capable of taking the mic and running with it when he gets an opportunity. He's got a lot of stuff to get off his chest. So um, we got another. We got a couple of pre-recorded videos regarding the the main event from with Goldberg and with Drew McIntyre. First, we got <laughs> Jeff Jarrett. Jeff Jarrett spending five days working hard on the go. J A double R J E J E double F J F. But uh. Jarrett, who says he thinks Goldberg's going to win. And then we saw the uh, Drew McIntyre with his pre-recorded video from his home studio. So I'd imagine now, like, they had already announced that Drew McIntyre is going to be back next week. He looked fine, and he said he's feeling better. Like, I don't think they would be planning it out unless he's already tested negative or, like, I'd I'd imagine he's already tested negative for COVID because I don't think they would even chance – Saying he's going to be in the ring with Goldberg and, and they haven't tested him or they don't even know So I'd imagine things are probably on the up and up For uh, for Drew Mack, the WWE champ Yeah, and you know, that's one thing You've got to give a lot of credit for WWE They haven't hid, they haven't hid no. their workers this testing good. positive yeah. uh, And you, it is what it is it, It's the normalcy It's, it's what you got to get used to And yeah, he, he's probably... Uh, it was probably cleared to go this week. So that it, it allows you for him to sit back home for another week. And it allows the dirt sheet again. Uh, just more fantastic work between With Gilbert, Johnny and Ms. Gilbert and a phony Drew McIntyre was just amazing. So, so fun. that was, I, I'm pretty sure that that was the dude that was Bernard from the Santa Claus, the elf. He's also the guy from 10 Things I Hate About You, the, the real dorky guy. He's also in Harold uh, and Kumar. Yes. They go to yeah. White Castle, the, the friend. And he just is a, a lot bigger than you've ever seen. He's got that line in Harold and Guantanamo Bay. And he's like, <laughs> why is your butt so dirty? Like, don't you white? Uh, but he comes out. I'm like, oh, I know this guy. It's this yeah. guy. And, and the he, Miz is so mad. He goes, you know, to, to Morrison, where did you get these people from? That, that, it, was, that line just made the whole segment, man. The Morrison Miz stuff is pretty funny. Like when, when he gets it mad is. at him, or like uh, when he like Morrison's like agreeing with you know with Drew stuff. He's yes. like, oh, you don't, don't agree with you don't agree with <laughs> the the Miz is always gonna make me crack up. And uh, will like right now he's probably he's not gonna be um in the main event ever for a long period. But I, whoever has the briefcase, it's better having it. Because it's yes. just it's still a vehicle 
to use where you can quickly change things up. I'd much rather have somebody win the title and then lose it real quick than just completely lose the briefcase because the briefcase to last like four or five years has felt like it's not as important as it used to be. Right, and it feels important again. We all kind of laughed and thought it was great that Otis won it, right? But we knew that Otis was not going to be a world champion. At least we didn't think was. Maybe for a night he would have been and lost it, you know, the next week. But, you know, giving it back to the Miz and cutting these type promos and knowing that Miz is a former world champion, it leaves the door open that, okay, he could cash this thing in and actually win. So, yeah, it it gives it more importancy. And it's relevant again, and the way they just continue to do these segments every week just uh, it, it puts the it puts the briefcase in, in a spotlight with their comedy and makes it even relevant, even more relevant. Couple other quick hits on Raw. Uh, we've still got the Shayna, um, Nia, Mandy, Dana stuff. This is sort of a tag feud for these women as they progress to the uh, to the Royal Rumble. I'd imagine we'll get some sort of interaction with them in the Rumble. And then, then the one the one thing that made me laugh. We had the Jeff Hardy, Jackson Riker, and, and Elias. And uh, and Elias, you know, J- uh, Riker keeps telling Elias not to interfere in his match. And and he, as he interferes. Hardy's going up for the Swanton bomb, and then Riker gets all pissed. The line—I don't know why—I re- I must have rewound it and laughed like four times at Elias saying, "Dude, the guy's about to hit you with the Swanton bomb. Nobody <laughs> kicks out of that." Like, just like the way he said it, I just was dying. It's a Swanton, man. Nobody kicks out of that. It was, like, these, I, I feel a little bad for Jeff, but I, I like all these guys. Yeah. It's entertaining. I just um. I, I I kept thinking we were gonna get one more like last Jeff Hardy run, but we it, it seems like he's another one where they get a little behind and then they go, uh, you know what? We don't really need to get behind Jeff. We can just kind of throw right. him out there and he'll get a pop no matter what. Yeah, and do his fancy moves and some crazy dives and stuff. I, I'm a huge Elias fan. I, I've seen you know fortunate enough to see this guy at, you know perform live at, at you know at how shows with his, his guitar and it's you know i think the universe likes him and him and jackson Riker now uh i love it they're going back and forth but he goes oh you, you know you, i thought you said you did want me to interfere in your match yeah oh, you know it's just it's fantastic oh. it's fantastic stuff man it's fantastic <laughs> It really is. So we head on over to uh, to Wednesday. Let's talk about AEW and what we just saw on Dynamite. Um, some things that I I, lo- I really like uh, all the stuff that they're doing with um, with Negative One. It, it's cool. It's a lot of fun for us fans uh, that that know the story and everything. Brody Lee's son They're giving him the It was his birthday, so they're celebrating his birthday. They give him a chance to come in here. He's using the kendo stick. This was great. The only gripe, and I don't even want to have a gripe for a segment like this, is I'm not sure if this is the best segment to open a show with. Right. Um, yes. Just because if, like, we're fans, we we tune in and we know, oh, really cool, like, look, they're doing it with, with negative one. But if somebody didn't really know what was happening and they were just flipping through the channels, they would probably say, what is this? And it, they they probably wouldn't understand. It would take a while for them to figure it out. And I like it, though. I'm glad they keep getting him interacted. And it's it's pretty amazing what's happened with the Dark Order, who went from this group at the beginning that everybody said this is the worst thing AEW is <laughs> doing. Everybody hates them. Get them off my TV. Like we're talking about go away heat, not even heel heat. And now you've got John Silver, who is one of the biggest stars in the company. Yeah. Everybody loves this guy. And and the post-match celebration 
or when they're when they're talking with Adam Page and they're asking Page if he's going to join. He says, "Do you are you going to join the group?" And he says, "You know, I can't." And then the, he said, "Yes." And they've got <laughs> yeah. everything. They got the Cowboys coming out. They've got everything already planned, and they have to. Oh, he didn't say yes. He says he doesn't want to do the group thing again. That that made me crack up. Uh, I I enjoyed that. I laughed. And hey, you know what? This this team is now. The Dark Order, they're like they're a babyface team. I, the crowd is going to get behind them, and they're going to be booked that way. Yeah, and I thought, you know, I, I was right. I was on board with you. I thought this was a silly gimmick. I didn't like the name of the team. I didn't like uh, what they stood for. You know, and then they start. They took them off. You know, in ring competition, and then they kind of back them off TV, and then they start doing these really good promos, right? With the TV and these, these kind of infomercials, you know, join the dark order today. And I'm like, okay, this is pretty cool. And then when Brody Lee comes over and joins them and they kind of rally behind him, then you get behind them and you can take them serious. Oh, at the same time, they're funny. But yeah, that, that, that segment was, was really entertainment, really entertaining, but I, I'm with you. It probably, you know, I don't even mind that ending the show, but don't put it on at the very beginning. Because like you said, if you get a first time watcher or a guy that hasn't been or a lady hasn't been watching wrestling for a long time and they say we're watching TNT and something like the end of whatever show turns into this, they're going, oh, this is. And and again, I like it. I think there's a place for it, especially with what's what's been happening lately. But. It sort of felt like this was a show where they said, oh, hey, we're up against the inauguration. We're going <laughs> to yeah. just mail it in, which is what we get mad at WWE for doing a lot of times through the football season. We feel like there are a lot of Mondays where they kind of go, oh, you know what? Like it's uh, Chiefs Packers on Monday Night Football. Like we're <laughs> sure, just going to mail sure. it in. You know, it's going to be a big game. Um, the, the the things I did like uh, I, and I, I are always one of the highlights of my show uh, when I'm watching AEW MJF. You know, he's oh, worried. the best. He's worried all throughout about the inner circle tag match and he's playing mind games with these guys all night with Jericho. And then he goes back in with Sammy and Santana and Ortiz and Hager. And he said, we don't want it. We don't have to do this. We shouldn't have to do this, but you know, it, and then of course, at the end of the night, who's the one that wins that has the roll up with the, with the tights. And he's got that cheap smirk on his oh, face. Yeah. This guy yeah. is phenomenal. And it looks like, I think we'll probably get a a run with him and Jericho as the tag team champs, or at least going for the tag team titles. Yeah, I, and I think they need to win it too. I yeah, really do. do. I, yeah. You know, I, I like Private Party what they're doing. Uh, you know, I, I enjoy FTR. You know, with with the real tag team wrestling uh, wrestlers. But man, this feels like these two guys need it, and yeah. just go back and forth with these two guys with the gold. Uh, you know, it was a good main event, uh, and, and with that little cheesy grin, as you mentioned, it, oh, it's just it's just icing on the cake. The MJF is a we didn't know it then when they announced him as one of their signees, but he is. Uh, you talk about the gets of all get. Uh, that guy's good, and he's perfect in AEW. And and you know, we get Sting out to congratulate Darby, but but even this, it's like, eh. what, like. Um, I, I was listening. I can't remember another show or who, or who said it. I think it might have been Wade Keller. Or, uh, someone had said that you know the the weird thing with Sting is that he's got all this charisma and all this gravitas before he talks, or and even really before he gets in the ring. It's like this mystic aura. But but the more he talks, he was never a fantastic promo. No, and the, and no. the more he wrestles, he was always. 
fine in the ring, but never necessarily the most fantastic. So it's funny, like, he's one of those guys that really feels like an old school territory guy. Like, the more we see him on our TV, I don't know why I got the feeling this week. It was just like the way he kind of just kind of quickly walked out and grabbed the mic and was just talking regularly. And he didn't have much to say again. It was just, hey, I want to congratulate you for winning the title. I I like seeing Sting here, but I don't know. I don't know if it's just me or not, but I feel like if we were getting this same thing in WWE, a lot of people would be crapping <laughs> on it, right? Oh, and, and yeah. yeah. We're yeah, just yeah. not getting much. It, it, when we get, you know, so Team Taz goes back and forth with Sting and Darby, and they talk about how, you know, they're from the streets, and there's going to be, you know, they're teasing a street fight coming up with one group against another group, and so we'll probably see that. But, you know, I, I don't know. I just, I've been a, a little underwhelmed with the Sting stuff so far. Yeah, and we mentioned, you know, uh, over the last two times that we've talked, it's time for Sting to have a match in AEW. Now, I don't know if they're waiting. I believe the next pay-per-view is the end of February, and that's a long time to wait. I know they have, like, some beach gimmick or something, some kind of Wednesday weeks, night. Yeah. yeah, here in a couple of weeks. A uh, couple of weeks. That might be the perfect opportunity. But, you know, when you go back to WCW, remember Sting with the blonde hair and the face paint? When he talked, he didn't talk very long. And the best thing we got was, you know, his ow at the end of the, you know, his screams at the yeah. end of the promo. So it just feels forced. And it just yep. doesn't feel like Sting. It's like, okay, we have Sting. We're going to put you out there, and you're going to like everything that we make him do. And it doesn't because it does not feel like Sting. Yeah, I that agree. I, I, I want a little more here to, just, like, just to get a little – every time he leaves, I feel a little – it's like a little anticlimactic. It's like, oh, cool, I saw Sting. But it's it, – I almost feel like it's the same thing that people get pissed off at when they see the legends on WWE. <laughs> yeah, it's like, absolutely. I'm just seeing a legend. I mean, I don't know. Like, it's cool to see him, but – when you see them every single week and they haven't done anything now for four or five weeks in a row, you start wanting something to happen. Um, I, I did. I, I got to say, though, you know, MJF, I like and I, I love this stuff with Don Callis and with. Omega. Oh, sure. That, oh, man. Yeah, yeah, Callis. Yeah. He is playing <laughs> this invisible hand guy. So we get the young bucks going to Kenny Omega's house and he's not there. But Don Callis is there. First, uh, oh, oh, what uh, Michael Nakazawa, and then <laughs> and so Don Callis is trying. He's trying to pay them off to not be his friends. He's he's telling them, "Wait, what phone number do you have? You know, because Kenny's <laughs> got a new number." And then the painting that is oh, like the painting over the top. Vince, the, the, the like the people talk about how Vince has got a painting like that of himself. Sure. That's like you know his shirt <laughs> off, and he looks like this was phenomenal. It's been it's Kenny Omega and Don Callis together. With their shirts off, with these like twelve pack body ab like painted on, and they they're wearing these jeans. They're all it's just oh my god! I was laughing at that that painting so much. Yeah, you know, and he calls the you know the young bucks have been kind of you know hanging on hanging honors or, or whatever he calls them. <laughs> you know, um, and, you know, and then what they attack him or we you know it's uh, led to believe they. Yeah, led to believe they're going to attack him at the end. And it's funny how Callis can be better on AEW than he is, you know, on Impact. And yeah. I, I like Callis on uh, on commentary. He, he's I've always sang his praises, but it seems like it's much better with AEW. And, and I'm not, uh, yeah, AEW's got a more talented roster, but still, Impact's got a lot of uh, a lot of talent too. But 
that was a great segment and it kind of felt like the old youtube segments we used to get from the young bucks and the elite uh, stuff uh, yeah, yeah a lot absolutely. of that yeah. that's what it felt like that's yeah. what it felt like uh, we got a quick uh, Cody beating Peter Avalon here. Um, not a whole lot. I, I, yeah. I called a lot of Peter Avalon matches, though. I love Peter Avalon. Uh, me too. He does a great job. He, he's he's got like a a really good like he's just a good hand to have. He can he can do whatever you need for him on, on the roster. Um, we got the FTR with Tully backstage. Uh, man, for a moment, I got this like crazy deja vu when Jungle Boy walked in. He looked so much like his dad yeah, from the does. angle. Where he yeah, was he standing does. with the sideburn right there, I was like, "Oh my god, that is Dylan Luke That's Perry, D- yeah, and Dylan I, McKay." Oh man, like I, I just got this. Like I had to stop it and like show my girl, <laughs> like look how much from this angle. Like you always get it a little bit, but and for some reason in this particular scene, he looked like really was screaming, uh, screaming Dylan, and I, it just shows you. Um, it's one of those things where it's like these guys are all good. They're like I think. There's there's a lot of talent that we don't see very much. We only see on dark, and like this was a, a weird week as far as who we saw on TV, who we didn't. Um, I like Jungle Boy, I like Jurassic Express, but that's one of my gripes um, with AEW is that if people aren't watching dark, it feels like sometimes there's a month before we see uh, some like pretty talented acts like that. So that's what's hard with the new company when you have a ton of talent like this. It's like Trying to okay, it's your turn now. No, okay, now you're out for a few weeks. Now you get some TV time. Now you're out for a few weeks. And um, uh, I think it's a team like the Jurassic Express and even FTR. We haven't seen a whole lot, and it's the women. I mean, we that that suffer. We don't we don't see a whole lot from the women. We keep talking about it, and when we do, it's not incredible. There's there's a few. I love Brit and what she does, and I love her uh, her gimmick. Her character is great, but we're. Looks like we're leading to a women's world title eliminator tournament. They only briefly mentioned it, but from what I can see, Chad, it looks like it's going to be. Uh, it had. It looked like the bracket had 16 spots. There were eight on the U.S. side, and there were eight from Japan. So maybe they do some sort of thing where they have a couple taped matches from the women in Japan, and then whoever wins that comes out here and faces the women of the the winner of the the U.S. side, and that gives them a number one contender. I just hope they don't stick it on dark, right? You know, I I yeah. I, I really don't watch AEW Dark. Me neither. I, I just I really haven't. Uh, I, I, there's I've no reason. I've thrown the background the very first few weeks here and <laughs> Me there. Me too. I, I, I tried. Since then I just said, okay, this is kind of like a main event WWE sort of thing sure. where it's like I just it for people that are watching their TV, it's hard to assume that everyone's watching Dark or BTE. You know, and and sometimes I think they get a little too. Oh yeah, we've got our group of five hundred thousand people that are going to watch everything we do, but they forget that if someone's just flipping through, or like even guys like you and I, I watch a lot of wrestling. If I missed something on B on BTE, and then I tune on AEW, and I can't really catch, or I'm not following along, that that's sometimes a disconnect. You know, I looked up. Uh... You know, preparing for the show, doing some research and some notes. I looked up AEW Dark, and I think each week they do 14 matches, and I think they tape that yeah. like the day before a dynamite taping, and I think they tape it day after. And as of you know, you know, Wednesday night, a day that that has been on YouTube, it was like 14,000 views, and that that's 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 that's, that's not terrible. very good. For their, that's not any, 
it, it, for for their audience and for their claim to be the number one wrestling show, and as Tony Khan says it every week on his Impact paid commercials that he's on, they're the number one wrestling show uh, on television. That's not getting, you know, and for instance, Peter Avalon, he's still on AEW Dark every week. You, I mean, this was the, I love to see Peter Avalon on, on Dynamite. And then he's on, and then we won't see him for another, you know, two or three months. They have all this female talent. I just hope they don't take this women's tournament and bury it on uh, AEW Dark, which they're probably going to put a lot of matches on. You, you got one women's match on Dynamite this week. And Penelope the Ford they, and Layla Hirsch. No offense, way, but that yeah. shouldn't be it. No. And and the match at the end, there was a bad botch with, oh, yeah. Kip, with the finish. Yeah. I'm not sure what he was trying to do. The announcers didn't even know what he was trying to do. No. That's no. what I got to say. Like This entire show from top to bottom – there was some sloppy wrestling in the main event. Jericho had a scary spot with the lion yeah, salt, which was yeah, bad. Sammy, even who's really clean, had sort of a, a a bad, not smooth spot. We had um some ref stuff here and there. The commentary was a little bit off. So it was just like a weird, like not a great night production-wise, all like top to bottom. Um, we got Moxley for a, a sort of like elongated squash win, and um, they seemed pretty high on who he was wrestling on the guy he was wrestling, though, someone who's got a little ability too. Yeah, uh, Nick Camarado, he you know, he's been on a uh, AW Dark uh, for a while, and it seems like they you know, there's another one that's that stays on AW Dark, and I've seen him uh, here regionally in Texas, Danny Limelight, who's from California, who's who does a lot of California stuff when they were running shows. It seems like those guys have been kind of on AEW dark and they get ready to bring them up, you know, kind of like an NXT type deal to the main roster. But it seems like they're really high on Nick. And I think they may be really high on Danny Limelight because he's getting more matches. He wasn't on last night, but he's getting more matches uh, on Wednesday night. But yet, you know, it just felt clunky. You know, uh, from from top to finish, we've got some big news that they announced. Um, you know, there there's looks like a pretty decent show for next week. Yeah. Um, but you know, I, again, I don't, I don't, I don't like the Shaquille O'Neal deal. I just, I can't. Okay, get into and the that. Miro, it feels like, like yeah, all the, oh, the Butler stuff. stuff. Come on, man. The Miro just, stuff on. is just okay. I, and I'm fine with the whole like, you know, someone is gonna be like my servant, Butler, whatever, for a month, sure. but. When you're making him come out, uh, okay, like, this is another thing, and I keep bringing it back to, if this was something that was done in WWE, I would roll my eyes, and a lot of people would be pissed off at it and say, this is crap. Like, Orange Cassidy is sitting right there. Sure. He knows all of everything that's going on. Why would he be upset that, that his friend came out and said, you're not my best friend anymore, <laughs> Chad Cooper. You know, I have to tell them that Miro is now my best friend. Like, why would he be mad at that and walk away? It, that just doesn't make sense. Yeah, it, it just – let's just chalk it as a bad night for AEW because yeah, it really wasn't a good show. Like you said, we got Moxley in a match. Anytime you see Moxley on TV is good. I think Eddie Kingston and Archer has potential to be pretty I good agree. next week. Yep. You know, I, I, Eddie Kingston, the king of all promos. Um you know, you're going to get the Young Bucks. The Good Brothers are back on in a match. Again, you know, we keep seeing this Impact relationship. I know Impact earlier this week had Private Party over there with Matt Hardy, and they become number one contenders uh, over there by beating, uh, you know, James Storm 
and one of the guys uh, from uh, Motor City uh, Motor City Machine Guns. So I don't know. It just feel, feels like a lot of storylines and not enough hours in the day for AEW right now. Yep, I agree. Uh, well, just a not not a great week. So we'll give them a benefit of the doubt. Sure. They're still new, but um, yeah, I didn't I didn't love a whole lot of what we had coming out of AEW. But uh, I, I will say that's the one thing about NXT is is that it's steady. It's yeah, it really steady. There are not very many NXT shows that you watch and you go, that was a really bad show. Uh, the highs might not be as high as far as like storyline stuff that they get behind, but. The work is always really good. I love the stuff going on with Johnny. Finn stuff's good. Cross stuff's good. Like, there's a lot of things you could pick out in NXT and find good and not bad. And you were telling me about some really big signings that NXT just made. Yeah, you know, there's been rumor. Yeah, you know, there's always those big internet rumors, and we always talk about. You know, every time we talk and we talk pro wrestling, we always mention NXT's. Women's roster. You're not going to get any better from top to bottom. Those those ladies, uh, they main main event a lot of the shows. They main event a lot of the NXT takeovers, and they deserve it. And they just got three pretty big names: uh, Priscilla Kelly, which has been around the you know who was you know married to Darby uh, for a while. I, I think they're they're divorced now. She was a huge name in the indie scene. She is now signed with NXT. Um, Elena Black, who we've seen multiple times through the Indies, I think we've seen her on a dark a, uh, a couple of times. They're putting them together in the women's Dusty Rhodes uh, tag team classic as a tag team, and also Lacey Ryan, who has been a hot name over the last six or eight months in the indie circuit. Uh, she's been down to Texas multiple times. She is signed too, so three massive signings, and on NXT. Beth Phoenix was on the stage announcing all, you know, first ever Dusty Rhodes Women's Tag Team Classic and all of the women's talent that's in that tournament was on that stage, including those those three new girls. They're just doing everything right in that women's division, you know, from uh, Tony Storm, Mercedes Martinez. It's just really, really, really good. And I thought the main event was solid. Uh, Timothy Thatcher and uh, Tommaso Ciampo, uh, Ciampo in the fight pit. That was a, that, that was amazing. That, that was amazing. It's just good. It's really, really solid. Yeah, solid. There are no yeah. downers whatsoever when we talk about NXT and uh, Wednesday nights are, are are a lot of fun. And hey, it just it feels like WWE is now peaking back up again because yeah, they are. Um, you know when our conversation here we had a lot of positive things to say about Raw and SmackDown and not nearly as much this week about AEW. So um, maybe. On the road to WrestleMania, we are getting there again. Chad Cooper, every time I, I tell you, it's going to be like 30, 40 minutes. We go soaring <laughs> past that because you and I could sit here and talk for hours and hours and hours about wrestling all day long. I love you, buddy, and I thank you. And we'll uh, next week, we're going to be talking some Rumble. We're going to be uh, previewing the Royal Rumble, so um, a lot to discuss. Uh, give the folks out there your plugs. Where can we follow you along on social media, and where can we find some of your work? Yeah, at the Chad Cooper on both Twitter and Instagram. And also, uh, those who don't know, Title Match Network, Title Match Wrestling, look them up. Over a million subscribers on YouTube. They, you know, they do a lot of indie shows, live internet pay-per-view. Great stuff. And, yeah, and a big one this Saturday night in Beaumont, Texas with Hurricane Pro Wrestling. Heather Monroe's gonna be there. Uh, the mad dog, Matt Cross, who everyone knows from Lucha Underground, uh, Son of Havoc. I think he's working one-on-one with Miranda Alizé. And I've been told they got a big super show February 27th. Deanna Perrazzo is going to be there. 
a, a lot of talent. So uh, Title Match Network, check them out. Check me out on Twitter and Instagram at the Chad Cooper. And uh, let's talk wrestling, football, photography, music, you name it. We'll, uh, we'll definitely retweet that and, and put that out there for, some, yeah, for all the wrestling fans too. So Chad, buddy, thank you. Uh, we'll talk to you again next week. Sounds good, Gino. That's Cooper Loop, Chad Cooper helping us out talking this week in wrestling. Don't go anywhere, folks. We will be right back. Cooper Loop, always the man. We'll be talking to Coop uh, often, every week to couple weeks here. And with the Royal Rumble coming up, we're definitely going to be talking to him over the next few weeks. We'll have tons of Royal Rumble content next week on That's What G Said. And so that was also one of the reasons why uh, we're not talking about the Tiger documentary this time. And I'm even going to save another segment for Cobra Kai for next week. Since there's not going to be any football, we'll have a little more room to... To talk, and we're going to start to kind of figure out what our new schedule will really be like without the football content. There'll be more TV show recaps. We'll have more horse racing. We'll, have, we'll be covering Sam Houston every day, and then the big races from whatever uh, big track has the the, the weekend focus. There are going to be a lot of Kentucky Derby prep races to discuss. We're going to talk a lot about the NBA. Baseball news will, will start to be on the, the uh, uh, horizon, and we're going to get into you know, conference tournaments for college basketball and March Madness. We'll keep our fingers crossed. Hopefully, there won't have to be too many cancellations there. So, it'll uh, there'll be less NFL without the weekly recaps and previews. And But there's the world of sports and, and pop culture just continues to go on. So, um, we'll, uh, we'll have different things to talk about here. Just uh, not as much on the NFL side of things. That'll do it for this episode, folks. Make sure, if you can, download, rate, subscribe, review, share the show around with all of your friends. Let them know about That's What G Said podcast, how there's no other show like us, right? No other show that goes through all of the major events in sports, covers a ton of different horse races, wrestling, uh, TV shows, movies, try to do everything that we can for you and give you all the best information, lead you to uh, some winners, lead you to great info, lead you to uh, having some fun with a, a show or a movie. Big thanks to Joey Cleveland, my friend who does the intro and he's doing all sorts of uh, little segment intros that you're note that you're going to notice and over the next few weeks we're going to continue to improve the show with uh, a little more sound some extra segments going to continue to get you guys involved out there guys and gals we want all to hear from all of you with the uh, that's what you said segments where I'm going to start to ask for some of your weekly plays and hear your voices here uh, a little bit more on that's what G said have an awesome weekend folks best of luck